93.3 WMMR Audio On Demand presents the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Well, our guest is on the line. Awesome. And I'm excited to talk to him. I absolutely, positively love the new song uh, that we've been playing. So good. From the Rack on Tours, uh, Sunday Driver. Yeah. It's, it's, and I'm not a one-listen guy, and the first time I heard this, I'm like, this song rules. Uh, but uh, not just Rack on Tours, obviously, White Stripes solo work. Uh, he's, he's done so much and is a multi-talented individual, and we are so happy to welcome to the show Mr. Jack White. Yeah! Hey, Jack, good morning. Oh, wait a minute. No. I didn't have the button hit. Okay. Hey, Jack, are you there? I'm there. How are hey, you? Sorry yeah. about that, man. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you giving us some time today. Yeah, nice to talk to you guys. Um, listen, I've got to... Uh, li- there's a lot we want to talk to you about. So much. Uh, but I think it was really cool to see that you and uh, Jack Black finally got together <laughs> and uh, and had a moment. You know, it's been uh, a long time coming for the rest of the world to know that we've been friends for 20 years. That's funny. Yeah, it, it had been it, it was everybody was freaking out the fact that you guys did finally get that photo together, but you have you have known each other. I know way back when it might have been like in 2000 Six that that Jack introduced uh, the White Stripes at uh, uh, the MTV Awards. I think it was. Uh, is that where you guys yeah. met? That is where we met. Yeah, um, I just, that's what I remember where we met. And then he introduced the White Stripes again a few years later at a live show oh. we did at Tower Records, with the old Tower Records on Sunset. And then, uh, yeah, we've been friends since then. It was, he's a great guy. That's cool. Listen, at the top of the interview, you know, I, I talked about the various bands and projects and things that you've you've had throughout your career. Um, what, is there is there a little voice in you that that tells you, hey, it's it's time to uh, to get back to this, or it's time to move on to this project? How do you know when it's right to to begin something? I guess I'm I'm really fortunate that I don't have to do the, any of those things. Like uh, I think back in if I'd been an artist in the '60s or '70s, I would have said, no, you can only be in this one project, this one band, and and you have to do a record every year and all that stuff. So I've been lucky to to not have to have to do anything. So it is just sort of deciding uh, when it feels right for everybody involved. And, mm. and that was, uh, Raconteurs, it was kind of strange. We didn't expect it to take that long. I, I thought, I think we only talk, thought it was going to be a couple of years, but uh, yeah, we, after the last Raconteurs album, Third Man Records opened up. So that's what's been, that's what's been put a lot of stuff on my table for the last 10 years, uh, Third Man. And uh, so that's, I think it's sort of my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, you impress me as a, as a classic renaissance man, but a lot of times when an artist gets the label of a renaissance man or woman, uh, you know, there's a perception of, oh, this sort of pompous and so on and so forth. But you're not. You're, you're, the stuff that you get involved in, you sense there's a genuine zeal uh, for what you're doing, whether it be the you know the the records and the love of vinyl, I love I love your attention to to detail. And I was watching a video, uh, it, it sort of went viral uh, of you using an FM broadcaster in the yeah. mixing process to broadcast out to your car to hear how a, a mix was was uh, sounding. And I, I love that because I stop mixing. I do production as well, just for, on a radio level, not to the level that you do. But I stopped doing it in the headphones a long time ago because that's not the way people are going to be listening to what it, the way it's coming out. What? When did you have that epiphany to start doing that? Yeah, it's sort of. Uh, it was given to me as a present. I, I talked to my Jack Lawrence, who plays bass in the Rack and Tours. I'd said that you know I heard that 
the Motown guys used to broadcast and go out to their car in the parking lot oh. outside of Motown to, to see what it sounded like. And we, we thought, oh, yeah, that's a big deal. We, everyone does that. We all listen. To, we take a CD or a cassette or whatever it was. We always take it out to the car and listen to it. Most, most bands do that. But um, the idea that I – the twist I was trying to put on it for the last few years was broadcasting and then – talking to the engineer while you're listening through a walkie-talkie <laughs> and mixing the record oh. while you're listening to it. That's so, so that's, cool. That's what changes it up. Yeah, they, yeah that, that's, in, you, that's ingenious. You don't know because... what it's going to sound like. Uh, you don't know what it's going to sound like, I guess. And, like, if you hear a kick drum in the studio speakers, they have a gigantic woofers or something. <laughs> oh, the kick drum sounds loud, but then you go out to a car speaker, you might not even hear the kick drum. Yeah. So you have to you have to test it on different things like that. So, yeah, it works out good. Has, has that dramatically influenced? I mean, are, are, are you finding yourself happier now and, and going through less of those, oh, my God, you can't even hear that moment because of doing this? Yeah, because um, it's very funny because I used to do this in my last car, and then I got a Tesla a few years ago, and my, I remember my friend was saying, you know, your, your albums are going to dramatically change now because the sound <laughs> of the Tesla is so different. <laughs> the sound system. So people can mark your <laughs> – if you're listening closely, you can see the moment where I start mixing the songs in a Tesla. <laughs> the, the, the Tesla period, yes. Uh, yeah. So, Jack, I'm uh, I'm five days older than you, so just make sure uh, that you respect your elders as I uh, ask you this question. Um, no, but it, it's interesting because uh, I think uh, you know, I, you know, just reading up on you, you credit um, Brian Muldoon with with exposing you to punk music, and you know, you and I were listening to the current music of, of the of the time, and and but I do remember those specific people that introduced me to you know different types and different kinds of music and there has been a lot of different innovations over the years and is it crazy to you to hear that you are an innovator uh, in you know popular music today it's kind of you to say that yeah i i really don't know i i i i just you know, when you're younger, you listen to what what's around you, and then if you're lucky enough to have mentors or people to look up to, you like the things they like. I had a lot of brothers and sisters, nine older brothers and sisters, so they turned me on to a lot of different kinds of music. None of them were really that much into punk, so it wasn't until I worked at a upholstery shop with uh, Brian Muldoon where he started playing me punk music as a teenager. That's where I got into that whole new side of things. And then the blues, a uh, deep love for the blues came after that. So it was kind of nice, but I think most of that did come from, yeah, looking up to uh, other people, you know, and uh, let, just just liking what they like. And then you figure out as you grow older what's good about it, what, what you can relate to and what you can't. But when you're younger, you just sort of like what your mentors like. Yeah. Jack, I wanted to ask about that that upholstery um, part of your life. You, you work yeah. and you are apparently very good at it. And and uh, you picked up some um, some uh, um, attributes or at least philosophies that you've applied later to music production. I want to bring up. I, I was reading in an interview uh, something about the three staples. Um, and yeah. do, do you know what I'm talking about and how you apply yeah. that to music? Could you explain that? Oh, that was sort of like uh, sort of like a moment I had when I was first learning upholstery. It was like I had put three staples on a piece of fabric. I, it, I, to me, it sort of. So like it was left, middle, cent, you know, left, middle, right. Uh, there was a minimal amount you could keep a piece of fabric on the side of a chair. Right. And I thought, oh, that's that's a real uh, good way to look at it. That's, if those three staples were, that's enough to call it done. And um, it, and then from then on, you make it more and more interesting and more perfect or something like that. I still do a poster. I still have my shop in Nashville. I rebuilt it in Nashville. So it's something I do in, in my spare time. Uh, Jack, I wanted to <clears throat> ask about... Um uh, uh, Sunday Driver, because like I said, when I first heard that, 
Um, yeah. I, I fell in love with the song immediately, and I, and I also hear a little bit. And I want to hear if I if I'm off the mark or not with that title, Sunday Driver. Um, you know, obviously, drive my car from the Beatles mentions that line. Um, yeah. and, and I hear the riff in the song and I hear almost a little nod to that, that riff that you came up with. Is it kind of a nod to drive my car? Yeah, I think you're onto something there because we, we had just, that was the only little word I had in there when we were just jamming it. I, I, I had written the riff, but I, I, I hadn't really written, written the vocal. So the band was playing along with me and I, you have like what's called a scratch uh, vocal yep. in the studio where you have a, a microphone up from up by my mouth, but it, and it's sort of recording, but it's not a, a finished take. So it's just so if I come up with any ideas, you just do it. But we're mostly recording the music, and I just kept saying, "Here comes the Sunday driver." I don't, I don't know why I said that. And then I said uh, I did a little lick that kind of seemed like a like a day tripper yeah. kind of riff there too. But then it's kind of nice. You, you just take sometimes you just take a little idea or a word or a phrase, and then it launches off of that. And then the song sort of became about a guy who's sort of. Uh, He's he's feeling protective of his sister getting picked up for a date, and, <laughs> okay. and then Brendan wrote his whole part in the middle, like let's go for a drive. That whole middle eight section is Brendan, and it kind of occurred to me like, wow, that's that's the boyfriend's version of the story. Like there's just nothing <laughs> going on here. We're just going for yeah. a ride. So, and you were right; it was day tripper, not drive my car. I had the yeah. wrong song there. But listen, I want to compliment you on. I, I believe that you know there there are, oh, there are several different kinds of songwriters and and guitarists out there. There are people that can shred. There are people uh, that that play with a lot of emotion. There are people that come up with riffs, and you have the gift of riff. I think you've written so many songs, you know, and I could I could rattle off a bunch of them, you know, like uh, Seven Nation Army and and uh, uh, and Icky Thump that that have this iconic thing that that grabs you um, when those come to you. Do you immediately need to record them, remember them, have them ready to go, save them for another time, or does the song kind of play out right then and there to you? It's funny. I think it's, it sort of takes some kind of imagination because I remember those uh, riffs you just mentioned, playing them for people around me when I came up with them and people thinking they weren't very interesting. You know, it's, huh. it's sort of like, you, you know, if you play them on an acoustic guitar for someone, they, they only hear it as the acoustic guitar you're playing for them. They're not imagining it. Like, you almost have to say, because I don't really think people listen to disclaimers, you know? Like, if you say, imagine this is a loud electric guitar with reverb on it. <laughs> right. like, people are like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, go ahead, go ahead, play it. <laughs> You know, they, 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 so you're. Uh, so it, I, I think that's where songwriting and maybe some of that stuff it, it comes in handy is, is um, being able to say play a song, uh, a melody on a piano, and to be able to imagine what it could possibly sound like at its best or most intense moment or something like that. And then if you're able to figure out some tricks to make that come to life, then then you're sort of getting onto something, I guess. Uh, Jack, you're uh, 11 days older than me, so automatically <laughs> I look up to you and respect your opinion. Because uh, he's an elder. Because yeah, you're an elder. You yeah. respect your elders. Yeah, I always respect my elders. I wanted to ask you uh, about your love of, of baseball, uh, particularly the Tigers, and, and uh, your favorite yeah. place to, to go see a game, your favorite place to maybe play, um, any stadiums that come to mind? Well, I, have to, I still have to go to the... Uh, the Philly Stadium because um, I, it's one of those like I only have six left that I haven't been to. Wow! So uh, and you guys have uh, uh, Harper now, right? So yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's a great ballpark. We're biased, of course, but it really is one of the best in the bigs. Yeah, I can't wait to check that out. Uh, yeah, I got like about six left. I got Tampa Bay. I haven't been. <laughs> you can to skip that, that one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta go to. I gotta go to all of them. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So, and um, what's it? Washington Nationals. I haven't been there yet. So I gotta do like a kind of an East Coast run and get the rest of those done. But uh, yeah, the um, 
Yeah, the, the Tigers aren't doing so good this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. There's always time. Hey, I, I want to ask, you know, speaking of professional sports, uh, what is it like? Because I was watching the Stanley Cup Finals the other day, and for, for whatever reason, and you hear this all the time, I heard 20,000 fans in St. Louis going, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. And yeah. that, like, how crazy is that for you to hear? It's wild because um, when it first started happening was about, I think, 2005 era, somewhere around there, when the Italian World Cup uh, soccer team started doing that uh, in Europe. And um, we thought, oh, that was so great. Meg and I both thought that was, wow, how, how cool. And But we thought this was just that one moment in time and it was going to go away, you know, in a few months. And it's, what is it now, 15 years later and it's happening in sports Every sport across yeah. the world. I mean, you see like a, a little league game, they do it, or hockey, basketball, and baseball. So it's it's crazy because you can't really plan to do something like that. That just that's just sort of folk music in a way because it's people chanting something they don't know where it came from, they don't know who wrote it, and they don't care, which is great. That's the way it should be, and um, it's just a, it's it's it puts a smile on my face every time I hear it. It's, I have, it's so amazing. obviously we we love the music, love the raconteurs, love everything, but I have to tell you and be honest, we quote and or play <laughs> your clip from a walk hard. Oh my god. Uh, all the, All the time. time. Yeah. It cracks us the F up. How did oh, you man. end up in Walk Hard as Elvis, the karate yeah. master? The that was uh, John C. Riley had called me up and asked me, hey, would you mind playing Elvis in this movie? And he started to explain the whole movie to me. And I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty funny, but that's a dangerous little thing to do. I don't know if I'd be any good at that. And <laughs> I, I could just make a fool of myself. You know, I'm, I, I told him, like, hey, we can try it, man, but if it's no good... Don't put it in the movie, you know, because yeah. uh, you want me to come out the next day. Would you come out to L.A. tomorrow and come film this? I'm like, okay, I think it was the next day. Maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, yeah, it came out, and it was uh, great because I wish everyone could see all the outtakes from that. Because oh. they're so It's so funny, all the things we did. And I did that kind of, like, talking like that nonsense. Like, <laughs> I did that for, like, there was a couple of takes where I did that for three minutes straight. <laughs> yeah, look out, man. Because <laughs> at some point, you're just it's just gibberish, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Totally, yeah. Oh my god, it's so funny. I, I, I absolutely love it. Um, you know what? You're you're a big fan of, of guitarists, obviously. And uh, are you currently playing uh, Eddie Van Halen's signature model? Yeah, I actually was doing that um, last year. I did uh, okay. my last solo record. I did uh, the tour. I, I used three guitars that were designed by. Other guitar players, you know, I did one that was designed by Skunk Baxter. Yeah. Wow! Brothers, one Saint Vincent. Uh, uh, she designed a guitar for women, and and I gave it a shot, anyways. And and then Van Van Halen's uh, guitar he designed. So I thought it would be cool to, to see what it would be like to play guitars that other guitar players. Uh, designed from scratch to to see what what elements they like to have in their in their playing. So that that was a, that was a pretty cool experience all around. That's awesome. We've got a, a phenomenal guitar player coming in here in a couple minutes. Paul Gilbert is here and he's uh, he's performing mm. in, in Philly. So uh, I, oh, I great. yeah, I, and I know that you you know obviously you've been in uh, you know it might get loud was. It was such a cool documentary and to be able to hang with people like The Edge and and Jimmy Page and these people. I'm sure you've looked at to for years and years has to be a bit surreal that you're now in similar company with them. Yeah, I was wrong. I almost felt like I was not old enough to be in that movie when they asked me. <laughs> but uh, they really, uh, I, so I was, I had a lot of trepidation about that, even more than the Elvis thing. But so it was, uh, 
But it was cool because the director really uh, didn't have a plan about what the movie was going to be about, which I really liked. He was sort of, let's just see what happens and yeah. let's try some things out. And he let me do a lot of things that I just thought up, like, can I build a guitar from scratch and you film it? And yeah, yeah let's try it. And uh, so he was really open-minded. So then there are some interesting moments in there, especially just listening to Jimmy Page talk about huh. uh, the recording techniques that Zeppelin used. That, that's, that's worth its weight right there to watch the movie, just to listen to him. Yeah, I can imagine, and and you seem to thrive on, um, on on not just uh, current technology, but uh, you really have an appreciation for uh, retro technology and the sounds that can still be gotten from analog and so on. Mm. Um, and do you have uh, do you do your own research on that type of thing and, and use those? Because I mean, while there, there's something really raw about your sound, but you're not afraid of the, of the current technology as well. There's some sounds where I'm like, how did he get that? Um, but yeah, I think you should try to always sort of try to mix the uh, the new and the old together at times and find out what's beautiful about them both. If you, you know, there's there's a lot of there's always new technology coming out no matter what time period you're in. So you're yeah. you're always trying to find things about it that are interesting of that work that are so sort of I guess soulful maybe, and then you sort of discard the rest and then you you try to. Do the same thing with things from the past, like this amplifier had something good going on about the other ones around it, and eh, not so much. So you just start to you pay attention to all those kind of things. It's sort of this disease you get when you're <laughs> younger. You, as a musician, if you love music, you start watching bands and what guitars they're using and what microphones they're using, and then you get into a studio and it's the same way. And but the things that I have to be careful about is to not just go down this road where you only care about gear, right? You know, because it's very, it's very. Um, you know, uh, it, it, draw, it wants to draw you in all the time. It's 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 it's, it's very shiny, and you you could be distracted from being a you know a songwriter or an artist because you can get just obsessed with gear. I know? believe it, and, and it, it, it can draw you in. And, and I remember I was I was re- very reticent to try these analog emulators that you know they'd started to come out and they're they you know and, mm. but they started to get better and better. And you're like, okay, because there, you know, you you can't argue with there's a, there's a certain genuine warmth to the sound of a lot of the analog equipment, but you can you can get, you can constrain yourself too much and not you know see the forest for the trees. I wanted to ask you one last yeah. question concerning you worked with Loretta, Loretta Lynn to great effect and you know a legend. Do you do you love taking an artist like that or or, or perhaps the possibility of working with an artist and helping them uh, be their best uh, their be- and have their best expression? Is that something that really excites you? Yeah, it's if if I can if I feel like uh, that I can actually help and add something to it by working on it, then I get really inspired. I've been asked to do, you know, produce records by, you know, records that were definitely going to be a number one, ten million record seller, no matter what you put on it. I and but just to, but still, to me, I thought like I can't do anything with this scenario. I mean, I just can't add anything to it. It would right. be nice to say oh to say you did it, but. It's better to only work on things that really speak to you and they they feel they feel right. I, I'm I feel nice with this to look back over the years and say that to myself in the mirror or whatever. <laughs> I've never really done too much things that I didn't want to do. It was it's been and that's a very very lucky thing to to be able to say. And if um and also those things like Loretta Lynn and those kind of albums they're risky they're they're very dangerous and that's that's a thrilling thing for me is to do dangerous things like that with the hope that i i have a feeling that the way i'm looking at it something good could happen from this but who knows it could be 
a disaster. And there's that, that kind of scariness is great. When yeah. you think like, oh, this is shooting fish in a barrel, <laughs> you know, we got this, we got this. It's gonna no matter, it's gonna be great. And I think those things don't usually work out. Yeah, no, it's co- and it's cool you you have the opportunity to take chances like that. But we're we're glad uh, Rack and Tours uh, got back together. Uh, the new yeah. music, the the actual album is going to drop on June twenty first. How many tracks on the uh, on the new album? I think it's twelve songs. Okay. And, um, yeah, it's it's we're, we're really excited about. It. We've been we just got back from Europe and the shows have been just so electric. I mean, it's just teenage crowds and people just moshing and crowd serving. It's really really rock and roll. One of one, nice. one of the best Everywhere shows we've been going. One of the best shows okay. I ever saw of the Rack Hunters. And you you and you guys bring it live. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, listen, we thank you for your time. We know you're a busy man, and, and you got a lot going on. We only scratched the surface of some stuff <laughs> to talk about today, but maybe we'll have a, another conversation down the road. Thank you so much for playing uh, my music uh, uh, all these years, and thank you for playing rock and roll as much as you guys do. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you so much. Jack White, yeah. guys. Wow. And he is a very nice guy. That's really cool. Uh, you know, thoughtful answers. Yeah, um, so yeah. many things. I mean, he really, you look at all the stuff. And even, I mean, would the vinyl resurgence have had any of the traction it had without his advocacy for He's it? He's been a big proponent of it. And we didn't even, there was, a, like I said, there are a number of things we didn't even touch. We didn't even talk about partying in Nashville, which uh, Kathy <laughs> was, went on a rager recently. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's way into that town. All right, listen, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Get social with Preston and Steve and WMMR. Facebook, Twitter, you know, the usual places. Hi, I'm Steven Singer. Yep, that's me, the I Hate Steven Singer guy. People ask me all the time, what does this mean, I Hate Steven Singer? Well, maybe this is the reason. At my store, we don't play pricing games. We wouldn't treat our friends like that. We only have one price. One place, one price. Come to my store and feel the difference. You'll have fun buying a diamond for somebody you love. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. 888-I-HATE-STEVEN-SINGER. Online, I Hate Steven Singer. Com, and our flagship store at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. I thought this is pretty cool. It's, it's uh, titled 21 Startling But Real TV Facts That Will Mess With Any Millennial's Head. Oh. And I was sold after reading the first one. Please. So uh, this is interesting. Today, and it's about shows from a few years back. Today, Will Smith is not only older than James Avery, who played Uncle Phil was when The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air first aired. He is also as old as James was when the series ended. Man. Wow. He is older than Uncle wow. Phil was at the beginning of the Will show. Will Smith. Yes. Oh, man. Isn't that God. wild? Oh, man. James, that's a melon twister. James was 44 when the show first aired in 1990 and 50 years old when the show aired in his final episode in 1996. Will is now 50 years old. Did you see that version, that, that trailer for the movie that he's in, Will Smith? Gemini where, Man? Yeah, where a, a, a younger, younger him of himself is yeah. sent out to kill him. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, here's another fact. While Tatiana Ali, she is now older than the original Aunt Viv, Janet oh, Hubert, God. was when she first played Tatiana's mother on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. And uh, by the way, while we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, we ran back the Italian Fresh Prince of Bel-Air thing, and we had and I had listened to the segment, and I think this is the segment we might have played a thousand times that morning. You guys remember that at all from like nope. ten years ago? Oh, it's, nope. the, it's the theme song. It's of- the theme song. Oh. 
Ehi, hey, questa è la Max Storia di come la mia vita è cambiata, capanotta, sotto super si è finita. Seduto su due piedi, qui con te ti parlerò di Willy, superfico di Bel Air. Oh my God. I didn't hear Philadelphia in there anywhere. Ah, uh, uh, it's coming up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Giocando a basket con gli amici sono cresciuto, me la sono spassata. Wow, che fisso ogni minuto, le mie toste giornate filavano così. Tra me che tiro a canestra, un film di Spike Lee. It would, oh, been, it would have been there. Okay, But yeah. they didn't say it. Why not? I don't know. I don't know. In Sicily. Uh, all right, so I have a couple of other interesting facts. All okay. right. In less than a year, it'll be the 20th anniversary of both Even Stevens and Malcolm in the Middle which officially makes him old-school TV shows. I don't remember even Stevens. Do you guys remember uh, was that? that? Wait, that, that was with Shia LaBeouf, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, this one will blow your mind. If the Golden Girls was made today, <laughs> oh, Molly Ringwald would be old enough to play Blanche. What? <laughs> yeah, they, no. they were all pretty young, right? <laughs> Rue McClanahan was 51 years old in 1985 when the show debuted, which is the same age that Molly is today, and... Jennifer Lewis would be old enough to play Sophia. <laughs> Estelle Getty was 62 years old when the show debuted, which is the same age that Jennifer Lewis is now. Estelle Getty was playing much older. She's playing like yep. 80, right? Yep, yep, yep. They they oldified her yeah. a little bit for that. Uh, how about this? Reminiscing about your favorite episode of Full House today would be like someone reminiscing about their favorite episode of the Dick Van Dyke show in the early 90s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's how far back that is. But it's funny because I think what happens is the repeats keep them contemporary. So you you still see the stuff all the time. Well, it's yeah. crazy because my repeats. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hey, my repeats. <laughs> my Thanks re- for hanging with me. <laughs> We're all of like those 50s and 60s shows and some 70s shows as well. I like I love me TV antenna mm-hmm. TV, you know, all uh, some of this stuff is just uh, it's timeless. Yeah. But I mean it's true. All right, so how about this? Um if Fuller House were to pay <laughs> homage to the Full House episode where the Beach Boys guest starred, then they could have No Doubt or Blink-182 and it would make sense time frame. Oh wow. <laughs> And it's, so it's at the chilling. time, though, the Beach Boys, it seemed ancient, you know? It did. You know it's what I mean? ridiculous. I mean, we're even back then. This. The Beach Boys guest starred on Full House in 1988, which was 20 years removed from 1968 when they were still a big rock band, while 20 years ago in 1999, both Blink-182 and No Doubt were big alt-rock bands. <laughs> yeah, man, that's <laughs> effed up. 1999 was 20 years ago. It's. I have a hard time. It still seems like the 90s were just a... F- like a couple of years I ago. I found a, a whole um, cache of photos in my house, and uh, they, I haven't seen them in years. And one of the sets of photos was uh, I put together this huge party at the Millennium, literally uh, December 31st, uh, 1999. And uh, I'm looking at these as if they were yesterday. Yeah, the 80s seemed like forever ago to me. But the 1990s don't seem like they no, were that long they ago to well, me. I don't know why. I, yeah. I think it all because we refer, we're constantly referring to both contemporary and old pop culture at the same time so it it, it sort of lives on i mm-hmm. i always my mind is blown by hearing stuff like this because it it's all sort of living contemporaneously okay so uh, i'll try to explain this one so the show freaks and geeks yes premiered in 1999 and it was set 19 years before during the 1980 to 81 school season okay so keep oh. that in mind 
if it was created today and set in the same number of years back, it would take place in 2000. Mm. <laughs> I didn't. I never would, watched it. So I, I did watch Freaks yet. and Geeks, and that's mm. where you you had that was a Judd Apatow show, and you had a lot of the people that are now you know veterans Jason of Segal. Judd. Apatow. Yeah, all those guys came out of that whole deal. Uh, Cardellini, she was in that. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of people. Uh, James um, Franco, Franco, yeah, Sam Levine, Sam Levine was in it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yep, absolutely. And uh, wait, who's uh, who's next? Uh, Busy Phillips is in it. And Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Uh, here we go. If Happy Days were created today and set in the same number of years back, it would take place in 2000. <laughs> no. I always thought, oh, by the way, God. I always thought that, um, you know, I, I, growing up, at least, I think we have cooler music to remember. I'm sh- Like, I was never a big doo-wop fan. Oh, see, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, my because my, my mom and dad were into it, and so I, I loved all that old stuff. Mm. Didn't uh, we have an Italian version of Happy Days as well, or is that Spanish version of Happy Days? I don't know. No. Oh. I have no idea. <laughs> Can you look and see? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't got, a rhetorical question. You got access to all yeah. that. Uh, that was the time when we, yeah, we were going through all the yeah. the TV shows that had uh, foreign versions and foreign theme songs because there was a day when there were theme songs. So t- who's who's dead from the Happy Days cast? Aaron Moran and Tom... Oh, my God. Aaron Tom Moran? Bosley. He's dead? Tom Bosley. Aaron Moran. Aaron Moran died. You remember that? Mm-hmm. I forget these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have Happy Days in Spanish okay. or Italian. Do you have... Uh, do you have it in Pig Latin? No, but I do have Blossom in, like, uh, Spanish. Or yeah, that's on right. Day that, was, day. <laughs> that was a on day on day Uze. Uze. On day May. On day May. Happy Happy hey days. days. <laughs> yeah, right. try it. Thursday day. Uh, right no. day fray. Oh, no, I'm saying the wrong one. Right day fray. Right day fray. Real right rotten hut. Happy hey. Hey, Days. <laughs> Happy Days. Let's listen to Blossom. Days. Oh, I know. I know why, but I've always... I wasn't ready. Oh, that was, was Olaf. That? If you oh, wanted... I don't know why, but I've always loved the idea of summer and sun and yeah. nothing's hot. And that's supposed that's to be... That's Hannah B. The Bachelorette. <laughs> All right, here's another one while you're looking that stuff up. Uh, if Okay, so this year marks the 30th anniversary of Saved by the Bell. 30th. 30! Yeah. By the way, one of the great, uh, we talk about those Lifetime movies that are uh, sort of biopics. That one's one of my favorites. So, Mark Paul Gossler is older today than Dennis Haskins was when he first started playing Mr. Belding. That's that's where we're at. You know, I hear that name, it brings up a sore point because I was a big fan of The Passage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One season and they canceled it, those rat pricks. That was a good show. (laughs) Uh, okay, so Jaleel White from uh, Family Matters is now older than Reginald Vell Johnson was when Family Matters first premiered. That was the dad on the show, right? Yeah. Wow. He was mm-hmm. also in Die Hard. Yes, he was. Yep. Mm. I love the... Um... Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. This year, Jonathan Taylor Thomas will be as old as Tim Allen was when he first started on Home Improvement. Oh, I was just no. reading an article about him, about how why he um, he sort of walked away from Hollywood. Uh, it wasn't because he was too short and couldn't become a leading man. Yeah, that was that was part of it, but it was also he he just he just lost interest. Oh. 
Mm. Do we all just, like, lose time or something like that? No. Seems like it. Yeah, right? By the way, he is also older now than Richard Karn, who played Al. <laughs> oh, my God. When Home Improvement it's premiered. Up. Mm-hmm. I just started watching uh, yesterday old episodes of Cheers because it's now on Netflix. And so I watched the first. Oh, it's been and, on. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. first and second episodes. And it just kind of blew me away that, like, Sam and Diane were like 38 years old because their their age came up. Actually, his age came up in the very first episode. Oh. And I just, I'm like, wow. Because <clears throat> even I look at him then, and if he's 38 in that episode, I'm older than him. He still looks older than me. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah, he appears in Judge your Dan's mind yeah. to be older than you uh, in that at that time frame, yeah. Uh, here's another fact. Freshmen entering college this fall uh, have always lived in a world where SpongeBob SquarePants and Dora the Explorer <laughs> have always existed. Well, that's a pretty good world, that that SpongeBob. Yeah. Yep, and they're doing the uh, they're doing the Dora Explorer film live action movie. Were you uh, were your kids a fan of Dora the Explorer? Yeah, yeah. They were. It was at that time, yeah. and uh, they were pre K, <laughs> and so it was it was a perfect. Actually, you learned the show taught quite a bit. Huh. It was it was well done. If you're not careful, you might learn something. You, right. Have you guys seen the uh, door all grown up uh, things on? They they show up on like YouTube or whatever. I've watched it. Name is Dora. No, it's still like Dora's. Explore me. <laughs> it's still her voice, but she's like. Like, don't you hate it when you show up to work hungover in your best? Oh, Boss you, you asks you what's wrong. <laughs> you mentioned that. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, most freshmen entering high school this year have always lived in a world where Grey's Anatomy has always existed. Oh, that's a horrible Ow. world. And, uh, and freshmen in high school, um, probably, yeah, they they were born after September 11th, 2001. Like, that, that's history yeah. for them. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It wasn't a part of their... They weren't alive for yeah. it. Well, that's kind of like uh, that show Euphoria that sort of steps off on that. Um, the, the chick who plays MJ uh, in Spider-Man. Oh, Zendaya? Zendaya. Yeah, her character was born like two or three days after that. Okay. And yeah. Uh, here we go. Uh, there's never been a new episode of Friends in their lifetime either. Wow. <laughs> uh, speaking of Friends, Cole Sprouse. Who is Cole Sprouse? Oh, that was. Go ahead. I was, I'm sorry. He was the kid in Big Daddy and he was uh, the, the son in uh, Ross's son. And he's on Riverdale. Oh. He plays Jughead. He's now older than Jennifer Anderson was when she first appeared on the show. And he's also dating uh, Reinhardt, Lily Reinhardt, who's in that new Jennifer Lopez uh, stripper movie where they hustle the Wall Street guys. Remind me who Lily Reinhardt is. I know that name. So she's from uh, Riverdale. She's, uh, she plays Betty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and she's, she's stunning. She's stunning. Now, you got to see her in the trailer for this movie. Totally uh, different. They also have from... Uh, um, Crazy uh, Rich Asians and from uh, Fresh Off the Boat. I forget uh, her name. What's her name? Is it Allison Wu? Or am I just making that name? No, up? it sounds close. Uh, what is it? Constance Wu? Constance, Constance Wu. Wu. That's Constance they're all playing Wu. strippers. Constance and they- Wu. Constance Wu. Constance Wu. Thank you. Constance Wu, Wu you. What were we talking about? We were talking Pretty about English. how um, Cole Sprouse, who's dating um, oh. in a relationship with... Um, I believe her name is Lily Reinhardt. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think you're correct. Okay, I thought that was Zach and Cody. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, and one of them left showbiz, and the other one, I guess, is still in it. Okay. And then the last little fact I have on this is uh, this year marks the 20th anniversary of Corey and Topanga. Mm-hmm. Corey and Topanga. Yeah. Topanga just got married. Boy Meets World, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Danielle Fischel. Yes. Remember Ooh. she had like a... She had like a like a crazy bar dancing. Yeah, she was here. I Deal think she here. was at McFadden. She was at the yeah. ballpark. Yeah, yeah. and uh, made out with another girl and 
Somebody that... Uh, weren't happy about we it? We got wind of it, and we had her on the show, and we asked her about it, and she hung up on us. Yes, she did. So... So screw her. No, not screw her. Tomorrow, or next month, Preston, is the 25th anniversary of uh, Shawshank Redemption coming out in theaters. Wow. Yeah. 25 years. That's Tonight amazing. is, uh, there's a there's an anniversary viewing of The Sixth Sense. Uh, yeah, that's 20 years? 20 years, I believe. Right? I was, I was at that premiere in Philadelphia. I, you know, I had no... You at the premiere? I was at the premiere, yeah. Were yeah. you working yeah. in radio at the time? Yeah, I okay. was at uh, Y100. I did a lot of, like, movie screenings. You were Casey Knight. <laughs> not Casey Knight, but uh, I worked a lot. I, I, listen, I wasn't married, didn't have kids. Yeah. Uh, my my girlfriend at the time lived you far could go away. To the movies. I went to the movies a lot, um, but I was at that one. And was Knight there? Knight was there. No kidding. And, and he had told a story about um, when you know I, I don't want to say it was like the the basis off of this movie, but he basically when he was a kid he says he saw a ghost. Yes, like he, he, he had, told us a story, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so at the screening, he was talking about how he's, you know, in his friend's, like, backyard. They were, you know, playing basketball, and he looked up and saw something yeah, in the window. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It debuted August 6, 1999. Wow, man. I remember when that came out, what a big deal that was. It just yeah. blew up. Yeah. Put him right like, on the map. Yeah, gotta go see Well, he talked movie. about, like, if you remember, Donnie Wahlberg was in the very, very beginning yeah. of that movie, and yep. he had lobbied hard for that part because he was really trying to break into acting. Yeah. And he was great. I mean, he was only in the movie for a couple of minutes. Yep. He yep. was awesome. And I didn't know it was him until, like, days after I'd yeah. seen the movie. Somebody pointed out to me, that was him? And sure enough, yeah, he's gone on to do some really solid stuff. So, interesting. Steve, I'm sorry to report that uh, Lily Reinhart and uh, Cole Hauser have broken Not Cole Hauser. Cole uh, Sprouse. Have <laughs> they broke, broke up? They broke up, man. I Well, I... I just saw an Instagram I, I, pictures. I, I this can't be. It's breaking news, man. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I love you so much. And I can't have a life without you. <laughs> that break, break, breaking news. When did this happen? Uh... This weekend? I mean, this is literally over the last few days, so... There was just, there was just Instagram pictures posted of them together! Uh, she stepped out for the first time. Uh, Cole, Cole Sprouse hit the town without Lily. Oh. I know. They broke up, uh, yeah, last week. Well, she's she's pretty beautiful. Steve, will you feel better if we play you a song? Yeah, I think I'd like that. I mean, how can that not put a smile on your face? It's very nice. Preston, if if you look up to the screen, Lily Reinhardt just posted something on Instagram. Yeah. Read what she wrote. She wrote, uh, a reliable source has confirmed that none of you know S. Oh. They are still together. are still together. (laughs) 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 I'm a Riverdale freak, so I... uh, You know, he is... uh, Luke Perry's in the uh, Quentin Tarantino movie, right? No kidding. I was so bummed out when I saw him on the screen. Uh, How long is he on for? Not not very long. Just just a little bit, a little part. Um, I was like, oh, man. It sucks. Yeah. It would have been so... Mm -hmm. Wasn't cool it? For him. Was, was it? Uh, was it Brad Pitt or was it Leo? I think they it was both, Leo. They mainly both were freaking out. We're just like, oh my god! Yeah, I can't believe he's here. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Because um, uh, well, he and Brad don't share any scene. That don't share the scene, but uh, Leo and and Luke do. Okay. Um, but I was like, oh man, I know. I forgot about that. I know. Yeah. I know. It's sad. 
Um, okay, well, anyhow, just thought we'd share those uh, bits of information with you. We will be back in just a second. Make sure you stay with us. 93.3 WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Totally Office Calendar 2020. Shot on location at the Met, Philadelphia. 12 magnificent months featuring the most gorgeous girls and our loveliest listeners. On sale now for just 15 bucks in the MMR Rock Shop at WMMR.com. Order by this Friday to have it in time for the holidays. Or get your hands on a free copy at an upcoming calendar raid while meeting the girls and members of the show. Details at WMMR.com. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. I have an 18-year-old. Uh, you know, my son is, uh, my oldest son is 18, and we're starting to kick around. You know, that term adult now is used yes. once you turn 18 years old. Right. How's that met when you met up? Uh, you know, it's it's nothing that we, you know, bang around, but, uh, you know, we do remind, you know, yeah. that legally, uh, in the eyes of the law, you're 18 years old, just to let you know. So, I mean, you can make your own decisions. You can yeah. be held responsible for your actions and so on and so forth. But I, I look at that <laughs> now that I have an 18-year-old <laughs> and the thought that at 18 you're considered an adult, insane. Mm-hmm. You're a teenager still. I remember you know when I, mean? I was when I turned 18, I was like, really? Yeah. So I, I always thought I, would, I considered 21 the beginning because I figured, okay, that's when you sign a legal document and it's... There's really not a lot of wiggle room out of it at that point. Yeah. But I remember, Preston, I'm not even sure I feel like an adult now. I know. I, know. I was watching an NHL game the other night. I don't know if it was the Flyers or not, but uh, one of the teams in the league brought up an 18-year-old. <laughs> and uh, he's the youngest player in the NHL at this point. And I just was thinking, uh, like you were, Preston, about what I was like when I was 18 and, uh, quite frankly, what I was like at 21 and then <laughs> 25 and what an idiot I, I was. And some days continue to be. And I just... How can you be held responsible at 18 uh, because you're so stupid? Because you also know right from wrong. You do. And and there's a long, you know, so even kids these days and, you know, back when I was a kid, uh, you know right from wrong, right? right? So, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, he's just a kid or she's just a kid. Well, does she know the difference between right and wrong? Yeah. You know, not that she can or he can be, you know, charged or, you know, treated like an adult. But Preston, can you still ground your child? At 18 years old? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All right. At yep. what point does... Uh... You know why? Because I own everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why. Right? Well, I'll you know take what? that if you're li- If, if yeah. he's living... Now, yeah. So, at what point, say, say um, he's going to college and yeah. he's living at home? Yep. Can you ground Listen, him? If, if I, I, okay, yeah. yeah. As long as you're... As long as you don't have to pay for anything, I can do what I want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I will take the car... Uh, your residence and whatever else. Right. I had to throw that out not long ago. I, did I, you? I, yeah. How did it feel? <laughs> Bad. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Terrible. But uh, you know, I I think I used the line of, uh, you know, try living off that part time job you have. Yeah. Uh, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He can so. still be. He can still be on your health insurance. Uh-huh. He yeah. can't rent a car. He can't go to some and rent. Uh, hotel rooms, so yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Like can't the buy fact, booze. the fact that you can't buy booze, the mm-hmm. fact that uh, you can't do all of those things, but you're considered an adult. I don't know. And I have a point to this, which I'll bring okay. up in just a moment here. Well, I'm all, uh, now I'm getting back to the grounding thing because I I was thinking that um, you even in your like full blown adulthood can sort of get grounded without your wife actually saying you're grounded. Yeah. You know, you can you're get actually grounded. You kind of get in trouble where it's like, you know, normally on a Friday night, I'd be able to go out and have some, you know, drinks with my buddies. Yeah. 
But I messed up earlier this week, so you, you know I kind of probably should stay in. That's great. If anybody is a full-grown adult and has <laughs> been grounded, grounded, please call us because I want to hear that story. Yes. 215-263-WMMR. <laughs> by your spouse, by your parents, whatever it may be, I would like to hear That's that funny. story. But, but yeah, as long as you're beholding to uh, someone else taking care of your living, then, yeah, you can be grounded. If you uh-huh. know what's good for you, you'll you'll adhere to it as well. But the reason I bring this up, there's new scientific research at FIME that people don't really hit adulthood, and I agree with this, until you're in your 30s. I clearly remember when I was 28 years old and I started working at WDREA, just turned 28. Right, right. Man, I, I should have been a full-blown adult by then, and I did not feel like it at all. I didn't feel like it mentally. I didn't act like uh, to some respects i acted like it responsibly but i still was being an idiot you know I, yeah, it's, and, it's, which is your entitlement before you become an, an an adult i think i know what you're saying and it's weird because i say this all the time right now i there are still aspects i mean if you look at my room it's the room of a 15 year old boy <laughs> but, but the truth of the matter is is that there are things that that uh, that i'm very adult on so i would say preston in the in my 30s i got married and I, you know, and and, and started to take, uh, a, you know, steps in life that mm-hmm. are classically associated with a, a level of maturity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I could I could see that. I mean, in your twenties, mentally, I don't. There's not a lot of difference, or at least in attitude and spirit, right. between what I am right now and what I was in my twenties. I didn't. And I'm sorry to interrupt, Casey, but but it wasn't until my thirties that I started really thinking about. Saving money and you know the the, the long game. Yeah, yeah I didn't yeah, start yeah. thinking about that until my thirties. There, I, I feel like every single step of my adulthood, there was somebody there, and I'm probably guilty of doing the same thing. But there was somebody there that was already a few steps above me that was there to make me feel like I was still a kid, right? So when I'm 18, there was somebody who was 21 going, oh, man, you know. And then when I was... To make you feel like a a kid, I got you. And then when I was 21 going to the bars for the first time, there was somebody there who was 25 going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're you're, you're such a... You're a kid. Oh, my God, I'm so old. You know, and... I probably did those same exact things. Well, John Mulaney was on uh, the Seinfeld, you know, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and he talked about how when he was a kid, he acted like... An adult, yeah, like he would, he would go read some. the newspaper at a yeah. cafe, like when he was ten, yeah. eleven, <laughs> and uh, and sit there with a cup of coffee and read the news. The, I do believe there are some people who are old souls, yeah, and that they mature sooner than others in, in that m- many mature personality wise. Um, I was not that person. Um, I had levels of it, but I've I've always had. Sort of a childlike whimsy. <laughs> I'm going to go to these calls in just a second here, Casey, but let me let me mention this. University of Cambridge researchers examined the brain. Uh, neuroscientist uh, Peter Jones says, what we're really saying is that to have a definition of when you move from childhood to adulthood looks increasingly absurd. <laughs> he said it's a much more nuanced transition that, Agreed. Ta- that takes place over three decades. Looking at it another way, the brain is going through major changes when a person is an adolescent, uh, accounting for much of adolescent behavior, but the changes don't end as soon as someone leaves their teens. Jones says there isn't a childhood and then an adulthood. People are on a pathway. They're on a trajectory. I can give um, uh, a verification of that. And also, Preston, if you're playing it right as you get older... uh, there's a greater, uh, there's a big exhale to life. Uh, yeah. The amount of 
pandemonium and hand wringing that occurred when I was young. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Oh. That you know, if you're playing it right, that starts to diminish. All right, I'm gonna go to some adults who have gotten grounded. <laughs> I love this. Um, Gotta hear this. I'm gonna go to Nick. Hi, Nick. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good, Nick. So uh, we want to hear you're a full-grown adult. You got children and everything. And, oh, and what happened? And I, and I totally got fully grounded. Okay, do yeah. tell. <laughs> so my, my wife gets done work later than I do. So I do all the kid responsibilities after school. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, you know, it was a nice day. So, you know, I took the kids to the park, but it had rained, you know, a couple days before. And, I mean, we all came home looking like muck monsters. <laughs> Complete mud. We were playing on the slides. And mm-hmm. It was my poker night. I brought the kids home. Dinner wasn't ready. The homework wasn't done. And she and I'm like, all right, babe, I'm getting ready to go to poker. All right, wait. Let me back it, up a second. So, so the kids can't. The kids didn't get their homework done. Okay, so that was all right. And then you said you're going to poker. And no, they not only did they not get their homework done, but we were all filthy because uh, we were playing outside and uh-huh. it rained like the night before. We were all playing outside. Uh-huh. <laughs> So uh, I get dressed real quick. They're all still muddy in the house. And I'm like, all right, babe, I'm getting ready to go. And she just gave me the look like, you better not leave. <laughs> and I sure enough did not leave. And I got the kids cleaned up. And that was my evening. And you were grounded. Did she have to say as much or did just a look get it done? <laughs> yeah, the look just was enough. So okay. you were visually grounded. Yep. <laughs> did you call the guys? My like, guys, I can't come over. <laughs> yeah, I can't play. Yeah, um, it's like, it's like, I got dirty playing. <laughs> I'm not making it tonight. I don't feel good. <laughs> you called it sick to poker. Yeah. I love it, Nick. Thanks, My tummy man. hurts. Appreciate it. Uh, let me go next to, hang on first, I'm going to go to Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning, Amanda. So you got grounded by your husband? I did. Um <laughs> My husband's wonderful. I love him very much. I got very drunk. Okay. We're going to go into it with, I went to it. I'm 31. I went to a Flyers game, and I showed the tops of my shoulders. I had a flash dance shirt on. The Flyers flash dance shirt. I was in the theme. My husband just didn't feel comfortable with it. We ran into an old friend of ours. I was drunk. This guy kind of hit on me. I hit on him a little bit. I was hammered. The whole, this is it. You're giving the wrong impression. Are you out of your mind? We've been married. We argued the whole car ride home. I cried a whole lot. He yelled a whole lot. The very next day, we did not speak. Four days later. We did not. We started talking again. It was Valentine's Day. We got on the good terms. He turned around and pretty much said, never again. <laughs> wow. Never, never again. He grounded you from Flyers games? No, he, he barred me from showing my shoulders. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Apparently, you have some rocking shoulders. Apparently, I do. <laughs> it, it, I I apologize profusely. I'm so sorry I made you feel uncomfortable, but it's your shoulders. I wasn't showing full-blown yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Hey, Amanda, what did you end up doing with that top? Did you throw it away? I kept it for a week, and then we had a different Flyers event, and I said, listen, is it okay if I wear it? I really like it. And he said, I thought I told you it pissed out the wrong image. Wow. Well, you're you're very, uh, to be honest, you're very understanding. I I don't, listen, you, you had a little bit of a misstep. You got a little too lit up. I get it. But I don't know if that's the kind of law... A husband lays down, you know? I didn't see. Well, I think what 
really put it in the hyperdrive is there was another dude that was involved. Mm-hmm. He was jealous. I mean, it, 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 all right, so... She said she hit on him, too. Yeah, yeah. And that was a mistake. That sounds like flirting, though. Yes. In fairness, she was hammered. Yeah, yeah. okay. But if the tides were turned, <laughs> I think maybe, you know... Your husband wouldn't be allowed to wear those boy shorts and be able to flirt with the girl. You know, it, to me, it seems a little domestic abusey. Right? Well, it, it is. <laughs> it is abusey. not domestic abusey. More Gary Busey. All right. Yeah. Uh, I would. He's absolutely right. <laughs> if if the shoe was on the other foot, mm-hmm. my horns would have been twisted to the point that it would have been like, all right. All right, well, we're never going to a Flyers game. Well, man, if you're cool with that, let me <laughs> ask you though. Let me ask you, how far did it get with this other guy? Did you give him shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> um. My husband told me I kissed him. I thought I was kissing his cheek. Billy told me I was kissing his neck. Oh, over there. Well, yo, okay. Yo. Man, when your your shoulders come out, you get slutty. Yeah. I get, yeah, it's hammered. I, I'm an adult now. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get rid of the shirt. Yeah. Right, this well, shirt's bad, man. Grounded from clothing. Interesting. Grounded from clothing. It was kind of like, nope, you ain't wearing that no more. <laughs> I love this girl. I love you, Amanda. You're great. Uh, Thank you for calling in. We appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You too. We'll see you later. Uh, I want to go next to Clinton. Hey, Clint, you're on the air. Good morning, guys. How we doing? Doing good, man. So tell us about your full-grown adult and you were grounded. (laughs) Well, uh, I ended up having to stay later at work, and I told my wife that I would pick up my uh, my in-law from school, and I forgot to uh, do that. So I called her halfway through. I said, look, you're going to go pick her up. She started freaking out on me. You don't have any commitment. You know, blah, 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 blah. You're grown. I'm like, from what? She's like, you're not going to play. I know you got that Spider-Man game. You're not going to play that. <laughs> she grounded you from video games. That's <laughs> no, a full-on. That's a kid's grounding. That's what you do to a kid. So let me get this straight now. You're picking up your in-law from school? Yeah, but it isn't in there. Okay. I, t- I couldn't watch what I wanted to watch. I had to sit through romantic movies. <laughs> now, mind you, I felt like my penis went into me like Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> but you were you were so guilty you went along with it. Yeah, sure, let's just go along with that. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, couldn't play Spider-Man and had to watch romantic movies. How, how long were you locked out of the video game? Uh, well, I... Uh, it's been three weeks now. This has been three weeks currently. Wow, you're still in video game jail. Wow. That's a yeah. long grounding. That, that is, is for just, I mean, for, honestly, did you did you forget or did you just not want to pick them up? No, honestly, I forget. Okay, <laughs> all, right, all right. Thanks, Clinton. We appreciate it, man. By the way, in the whole grounding thing, when, when, when you're grounding a kid, you have to consider the timeline. Yeah. And words like a month can fly out of your mouth very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering about and that. And then you stop and think about it. Oh, my God. They, I, they can't watch TV for a month? What the hell are we going to do all I'm day long? Because it impacts you. So, now so, I have to entertain them. Do you do you have to? Is the course of action, since I don't have kids, and I, my parents were, were exceptionally good at, at this stuff, so I don't remember exactly ever having an issue, but do you ruminate on it? Like with a court, do you... We're going to consider your punishment? Sometimes. Okay. But sometimes you're so pissed off at whatever just, just happened. You just, boom, right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, judge, jury, executioner. Ten right years now. without food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Ten years? Well, I'll go, no video games. And he's like, well, for how long? I'm like, forever. <laughs> Throwing it in the trash. Forever's not good. You got to go yeah. a little bit less than forever, but a more than... A day. If, well, are you ever going to have kids? They won't play either. Yeah. Well, and then he said, he goes, well, really, is it really going to be forever? I'm like, okay, now we're getting into questions. Like, stop it. Is the worst <laughs> thing to do, though, to reverse a, a decision? 
Like if you say, a month, and then, well, okay, just a week. Well, <laughs> are you showing weakness to the no. enemy? No, what you have to do is, is you, you, take, you, you make mental stock of that, and then yeah. you go, okay, after two weeks, if they're good, I can let them out. You know what I mean? Or something okay, like that. Right, so, right. so you can you can have a, uh, a, a what, what would be the proper word? I guess uh, out for good behavior. Yes. You know. Ti- time served. Time served. <laughs> we were never grounded as kids. I can remember the one and only time I was ever grounded. Like, mm-hmm. my parents kind of, uh, they like, my mom would always make us feel like, I guess, like, just feel so bad about the situation that she was like, I didn't have to ground you because you felt bad about it. What did you do? Did you leave the house not as pretty as normal? (laughs) Shut up. No, but I remember the one time I ever got grounded and I wasn't allowed to go to a party and I had to stay home. And I just remember it being like, I think it was probably in, like, middle school. Okay. I remember it being, like, so terrible Mm -hmm. that I could not go. Everyone was there. All my friends were there. And I had to stay home in my bedroom. Kath, I remember being grounded and being let out of being grounded to go to a party. And I, I think, you know, I didn't really drink much in high school, but I was at a party and somebody snuck alcohol in a hairspray bottle and then sprayed it on my face. So I came home just reeking a booze. Yeah, no So way. I was grounded for a while. And then I was like, Mom, I was invited to this party and like all the popular kids are going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she let me out and of she it. Let, she uh, let me go to the popular kids okay. party. That's a good mom. Yeah. Nice. yeah. yeah. And then in return, buy... you showed her how to use her VCR. Yeah. <laughs> I'm along with your mom. I don't buy the, you got sprayed in the face with alcohol. No, it's the truth. Right. And then I was they, in Jenberg's basement. And then they put cigarettes in my mouth <laughs> yeah. and they made me smoke them. And they made me inhale. And then they made me finger blast this girl. Who's, who's basement? <laughs> oh, dude. Casey just full on spit water out of his mouth all over the place. They made me do things to this girl. Whose whose house was it? It was the Jim Burke's house. Her grandma was watching Jim her. Burke. Her parents were away for the weekend. And oh, God, those wow. are as yes. a kid. It's funny the way you approach it because on both sides you have the, the parent who's to, who's handing down the sentence and the trauma of being a kid and remembering receiving that sentence. Let me go back to these adults who got grounded. I'm going to go to Laura. Hi, Laura. Good morning. Hey, bitches. Hey, what? All right, Laura, I'm reading here. You actually did the grounding of your husband. I grounded my husband. Okay, do yeah, tell, please. Okay. So he went out for a guy's weekend. Um, we've been married for a little while. He went out with all of his buddies who are also all married. One of them, I guess, not as happily as the rest of them. Uh-huh. So um, he found a lady friend and a group of ladies and... My husband's awesome. He was kind of giving me the play-by-play the whole time, sending me texts like, it's getting weird over here. And that was all I heard of it. And then a couple weeks later, we were out with all the couples, kind of just having like a game night or whatever. And the one guy was like, yeah, well, we ended up in the Uber with all these ladies. And I was like, oh, really? (laughs) Once we left the party, I was like, I'm letting you know right now if that ever happens again. You're never seeing your friends again, and you're losing all booty privileges, or I'll just chop it off, whichever one's easy. Whoa! From, yeah. uh, so you, you go bobbing on his ass. But so, so when you, have you ever in your relationship had to suspend sex privileges? I have not, no. Okay. But this was like, he's very good about letting me know when things are going on, like if he feels uncomfortable or whatever. But then I guess he had had too much to drink, too, and didn't remember the Uber ride. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like... We're going to have to... Uh, it's, it sounds like he's a good guy. It just was a little bit of a misstep. All right. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, I I remember when I was grounded from sex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah, 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 I yeah. was we there. Are, we were. all remember Preston that. and I were making love. No. <laughs> it was Fat Tuesday. It was Fat Tuesday. And we were at Fat Tuesday on South Street yeah. and it was just pandemonium. And I mean people Preston what a, like 100 people thick. You know, uh, it was just a mob Up to scene. the stage, just and, hundreds know, of people. Huge line out the door, down the street, around the corner. Anyway, uh, so we're on stage. We're, we're hosting these contests and stuff, and some guy puts a girl up on her shoulders. She had really <laughs> big boobs. She took oh, her top right, off right, completely. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, no bra, nothing. And they came over to me. For the express purpose of? Yes, me grabbing her boobs, <laughs> which I did with both hands and did a big old shake and everything. I think, though, you what? You, you knew like, the show was there, yes? I think so. Oh. And, and, you were acting, Preston. You're an you actor. Were, you were acting. On and, stage. And I think you, did you even look to her like, uh, can I? Or I don't remember. Okay. All I know is I didn't have sex for weeks after that <laughs> because I was completely cut off. I'm getting so many text messages right now. So my one friend says the Catholic disappointment treatment is worse than being grounded. She wow. knew what I was talking about. My mom said, I grounded your father once. And Rochelle also texted me and said there were several times that you were grounded. Oh, so as what is another okay. one besides oh, okay. So you're you're texting Kathy now, huh? Oh yeah, hon. Is that the way this works now, hon? Okay. Just say, just just contact her and say, I'm sorry, you can't give me oral pleasures now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there was, well, when she went on strike, the entire family was grounded, and that did include sex privileges too. So, uh, though she, I, I got to tell you what, that was a champ way. She she mm. rolled like a boss with that one she because put, the put down, and it worked. Did it not? It did. Yeah. Were you grounded when you wouldn't get a vasectomy at first? Uh, yeah, that's right. That was the other one. How does Kathy know more about your sexual she, they, they, they're Apparently, they're buds. It's also good to know that she's listening. Yeah. <laughs> really? I thought she stopped doing that. Uh, let me go to... Here, we have several of these now. I'm going to go to... Do, 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 let's go to Minnie. These are adults who've gotten grounded. Hi, Minnie. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, you guys rock. Thank you, Minnie. All right, tell us your story, please. So my dad, my wonderful 60-year-old father, um, gets really uncomfortable when we talk about any kind of genitalia. Yes. And I'm, I'm 30. I'm over at his house, of course, like the good 30-year-old. I'm doing laundry at his house because I don't have one in my apartment. Because <laughs> you're not an adult yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, me, I have a 17-year-old brother, and I'm talking to him and my mom, and I'm telling dirty jokes, and I'm saying pretty crude things because I'm 30. What can you do to me now? You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he, my dad's like, you're grounded. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't live here anymore. He's like, go to your room. I'm like, fine, cool. It's not even my room anymore. <laughs> and he, says, he says, well, you just got to go then. I'm like, wait, I have laundry in the washer and dryer. And he's like, sorry, got to go. Yeah. Me out. That's like, it. Fine. That was the privilege he was he able was, to take from you. He was taking away laundry, as yeah. per Preston's point. Yeah. You have something to exert over you. And he did. So did you dutifully do that? I mean, what I told my mom, I'm like, Mom, hook me up, and I left. But, but I was amazed. I'm, you're, I'm 30. <laughs> it's not even my room anymore. <laughs> it's his at my house, my rules. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's it, man. Yeah. All right, Minnie. But I think it's because it was me. Because anybody else says a dirty joke, and it's hilarious. But because I'm his daughter, and yes, you, you, you were, you were getting a double standard treatment. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 
Thanks for sharing, Minnie. We appreciate it. That's funny. Uh, let's see. Oh, my God. So many good stories here. We're not going to have time to get to all of them. Uh, let's go to Richard. Hi, Richard. Good morning. Hey, guys. I got grounded in 1985. I'm not allowed to go to the uh, Mummers Parade anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Since 1985? <laughs> yeah, my wife grounded me. I, we moved back here in 85 from D.C., and I had a college buddy who wanted to know what the Mummers Parade was, so he came up to D.C. This was 34 years ago. <laughs> He was dressed like uh, Indiana Jones, and that was the first mistake. Because uh, somewhere on Broad Street, he bumped into a woman who was dressed the same way, and that was the last time I saw him. <laughs> so what? And it was a week. Richard, <laughs> what week what did you do? What was the worst thing you did that day that gave you a thirty-four sentence <laughs> grounding? Grounding. Well, it was a week before I heard from him, and I was pretty hammered, too, and pretty much fell off the steps to her mother's house, and when they answered the door, I was face down. Oh, Richard. <laughs> I love this story. So your buddy and Mr. and Mrs. Indiana Jones. I had gone with my grandfather and my father, who had gone for decades. It was a tradition, and I was back, and so I was joining in. Michael was coming through, and uh, like I said, next time I heard from him was a week later. He was in D.C. Oh he, had my no, God. he had no idea what, what happened the first 24 hours. <laughs> hey, Richard, was your Indiana Jones friend calling from D.C. from that big warehouse where they keep the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you poor thing, Richard. All right, well, thanks, man. You know, Appreciate I'm sure it. that, you know, there's guys out there with these uh, Eagles season tickets that have done things that, you know what, you're not allowed to go to an Eagles game for a while. Oh, I'll bet you that's mm-hmm. one to hold over them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that re- what is the difference between that and and being grounded as a kid? It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. And, and you and you and when you get something like that, when I've been called on something by my wife, you feel like you're 12 years old. One last call. I'll go to Joe. Hi, Joe. Good morning. Hey, Gadzooks. Gadzooks show. All right. Uh, what'd you get grounded for? So my wife asked me for like three days to do a couple things around the house. I didn't do it, you know. So she goes, you know what? No sex for a week. Wow. I said, whatever. I can take care of myself then. Uh-huh. Jokingly. Yeah. And then so I came home the next day from work. My PS4 was gone. <laughs> I'm out. taking your games away. I'll get so, your toys. So I <laughs> and uh, I asked her, and she said, oh, you'll never find it. I was ready to tear apart the house looking for it. She goes, no, it's not even here. <gasps> she took it to her mother's for two weeks. <gasps> I couldn't play video games. Wow. Man, a game system, it runs yeah. the gamut from kids to adults. I hope you learned your lesson, Joe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Appreciate yeah. it. All right, well, you're not, you're never too, uh... Never too young to be grounded. To be grounded, yeah. All right. All right, well, listen, we've got to take a break, and we'll be back in just a moment. The Preston and Steve Show Podcast, 93.3 WMMR, everything that rocks. Please welcome the one and only Mr. John Travolta to our studio. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Nice to see you. You sound good. Thank you. Feel good. <laughs> Feel very good. You know what? As I was introducing you, I'm uh, and and I said, "Welcome to Philadelphia." You shot a film here in Philadelphia. I did. I shot Blowout. Yeah, which is a, Brian yeah. De Palma, great movie. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I yeah. agree. Uh, so this movie, we want to talk about the fanatic, which is uh, I actually when we I was started watching it on. 
I wanted to go into a cold, and uh, it's it's a it's a big departure for the kind of roles that you play. Mm-hmm. It's it's a horror suspense, but it also takes a peek inside the world of of TMZ and fandom and fandom run fanatical. And your your character is is very unique. And from what I understand, the character was written with you in mind. Is that correct? Yeah, it was Fred Durst from the Limp Bizkit. Yeah, he, he he wrote it, and he directed it. And I, I will say that he is quite inspired as a as a director and as an actor even. Right. And he helped quite a bit. He would improvise with me prior to the takes, and he designed this character. And uh, I understood it because I am a fan. I'm a, a, a fan as much as we all are. And I think if you don't understand that, um, whether it's sports or whether it's art, the arts or icons or you know whomever you admire, you can't do this kind of role. It's it's funny because John, because I I I collect things. I have movie. I'm a massive movie fan. A huge fan of yours as well. And there there's something that and it, it's your character exemplifies in the movies. Well, some just to, to be able to get the tactile sensation of touching something that a celebrity or, you, you know, there's this bizarre thing. I remember, it's it's odd, as I was watching the movie, I was thinking the story that Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert, it was very important for him to own the white suit that you wore on Saturday That's night. Correct. And, and, yeah. and he owned that. It was a, like mm-hmm. a, a, a holy grail for him. Yes, so you could Jane Fonda bought it. Right. So and, you, uh, yeah, it's, you're uh, completely correct, you know. But this particular guy, this character I play, is... Um, He's a man-child. He, yeah. he, he is maybe a little bit on the spectrum, which explains his irrational behavior. However, that being said, he's picked on mm-hmm. and bullied at work, and everyone bullies him. But he's so used to it that he handles it. But when his favorite person in the world bullies him, this movie star, he doesn't know how to handle it. He gets confused. And when he gets confused, he does really odd things. And you'll see in the film that he goes over the line, but so does the movie star. Yeah, and he, the movie star goes over the line equally as well. You know, by by torture and his inability to to pick up on social cues, it just it takes it down a path where it's like, oh no. Right. And I t- I got to tell you, John, the entire time while watching this movie. I don't think there was a moment where something on my body wasn't clenched. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it was my hands or my mouth or even my butt cheeks. I, mean, I, got, I was just like, it was tense. Well, because it's the whole thing. Nothing you know? times up. You, the yeah. point when you finally get to have this moment with the Hunter Dunbar's his, his name mm-hmm. is, is yeah. the, the the character. Uh, he's just, he has a he has a bad experience, and you just happen to come upon him at that time, and it, everything it, it never syncs up right. So that starts. That's correct. It's also a, a movie about bad timing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you some. Know, because yeah. if he had just been in the right mood and gotten his, uh, had his autograph, he would have been over. Yeah, yeah. But of course, then we wouldn't have had a movie. Yes. <laughs> what I thought was brilliant was that you. Uh, I loved that your character before all that started to happen. So you almost, uh, I almost felt bad, and I was like, well, it's not that bad that he's doing some of these things, you know. <laughs> But then it progresses into the movie. But you really made me love that character before you found out the other stuff. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I wanted him to be loved because I feel like everyone is a little bit of the character Moose. Mm -hmm. We all have a little Moose in us. It's just how far do we take it? And if we didn't have Moose in us, how would we be, you know, ourselves... Uh, to create an effect on others. Yeah, but I th- might be in your plane later. <laughs> <laughs> well, H- Hunter, Devin Sawa, is that the actor who's playing uh, uh, Hunter? Correct. Yeah, so 
again, he's nobody's nobody's all that awesome in this. Everyone's got you know, yes. even his friends or quote unquote friends are not that good as far as friends. And, and I like that because that's that's sort of real. But I like also the peek into the side of the the people who are out on the street who make money. You know, you, you're dressing up as a, as a as a Bobby, you know, to pick up some money. And and there are these things going on in that world that sort of uh, for some reason Hollywood. When depicted in a in a seedier fashion, always appeals to me. It's like yes. a Raymond Chandler sort of. Well, also maybe that's a bit of the truth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But they, they, in a way, that's sort of in, that's almost sort of enticing too. That yes. was that bizarre aspect. Yeah, I love how L.A. is um, depicted in this film. I think it's very real and and tragic. Yeah. almost, you know. I, I thought in watching the movie at first, and, and now seeing you today, I probably know it's not the case. But I thought maybe you would cut your own hair. Uh, for the role. <laughs> no, it was really cool because I said, uh, when I loved the script and wanted to do it, I said to Fred Durst, what what do we do about how he looks? I mean, what are, the, you know, the Hawaiian shirt was an obvious kind of choice as bad shorts and bad sneakers and all that. But I said, what about the hair? Yeah. And, the look? and he said, well, what do you think about mullets? <laughs> and I said, mm, I don't know. It's overdone. And he said, well, there's a there's a lot of different kinds. <laughs> Would you care to look? I, so I looked on on the internet about a hundred different types, and boom! Suddenly there was this guy, this dude, with the exact haircut Moose has, with glasses. And I I texted it to Fred, and I said, I, I found the look. I found yeah. it. So, and he said, I agree. This is the right uh, way to go. I have to tell you, I was at it, and when I saw this character of Moose. I told, I've told you guys this story. I was at a convention one time, one of these conventions. I am a real fan like this. Not Moose level, but... And Adam West was there. The original oh, Batman. Man. So everyone's Adam there. West. There yeah. was a guy who looks exactly like your character in this knapsack, the whole thing, the, the backpack, sure. with about 50 cans of Fresca in that in that <laughs> thing. <laughs> and that same sort of delivery. And you, you, you work on this character with that mr west mr west and he's you know sort of that thing and so your your heart sort of you know that this is not just a, a hobby it's his life and, and there is a difference it's yeah. a professional fan that they usurps uh, signatures and sells them right and then there's the guy that ain't selling nothing yeah and is going to keep it and that's moose moose is not getting rid of any of his memorabilia at all so th- how do you detect the difference i don't know yeah but definitely there is a difference and and you're you're known to be fan friendly when when you when the opportunity is right and that person does approach you respectfully uh, yeah respectfully do you, you you know what you're giving them I, I would think you know this is a very special moment for them absolutely and mm-hmm. i grew up being a fan so i right. understood right and i remember a very famous movie star who will remain nameless <laughs> but um, he kind of, you know, just discarded my, my, this is before I was famous. And I decided that if I, I ever became famous, I would never do that. So I live by that motto, you know, but again, how do you navigate the, the line of privacy? And yeah, it is that? a tough line because, yeah. and again, with, with people who, who, who approach you and, and, you know, we always think in that, listen, we're, we're on local radio, but whatever the stories, if somebody comes up. It's you know you every time the, the edict is you you shake hands you say hi you do the deal because that's an important that's an important thing and 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 Absolutely. you know sometimes as what as what happens with Hunter the star in this he lets his life cloud his remembering because yes. it starts off with a quote from him I'm nothing without my fans but mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. abide by that well sometimes there are good people that are bad celebrities yeah yeah let's face it right. So, my cure to that always has been don't go out unless you're in the mood for it. 
That's good. Good okay. rule. Yeah. You know, are you in the frame of mind if you go out to dinner to be interrupted, bothered, whatever, take pictures? And if you are, go out. Yeah. If you're not, that's just part of the very small price you pay for this glorious life that we have. Well, uh, case in point, in 1996, you met a nice uh, 21-year-old young man in Beverly Hills, California. And uh, I had a job at the time <laughs> where I was, I was driving around cars uh, for Enterprise Rent-A-Car in Beverly Hills. And I, and I saw you. And my, my the only thing that I could think to say was... Oh my God, that's John Travolta, <laughs> and and you you came over and uh, sh- you looked me in the eye just like you did ten minutes ago and shook my hand and said hi. It's very nice to meet you, and and then you went about your day. But you couldn't have been more pleasant. And I've heard countless stories of how kind you are to people, and it's not hard to be nice. And I think people just lose sight of that. It's it's really yes. easy to just be a decent, nice person to and everybody also, else. Let's face it: what you resist, you become. The more you withdraw from it, the worse it gets. So just, you know, own it. Yeah. You By know? the way, I want to tell you, on the shaved head thing, I, I endorse it 100%. <laughs> you look good. I, I, uh, and it, there's a movie that I love of yours. I don't, a lot of people are not familiar with it. They should be. It's from Paris with Love. Oh, hell yeah. And <laughs> damn, you are the baddest badass in that movie. <laughs> Preston, you, this movie will rock your world, okay, and, I and, and John is amazing at it. Who's that's the director of that? Uh, that's the guy that did uh, the hair, the. Um, oh gosh, you've tested me now. Yeah, he's great. He's done a whole bunch he's, of stuff that's similar. Fantastic. But did you enjoy making that film? I loved it. Yeah, because they were demanding stunts and action that I've never, you know, had done before, and I had to do them myself. And I love the badass character. He was just whatever. He he was bold. Yeah. Pierre I mean, Morel, is that it? Yes. There's Pierre some... Morel. Yeah. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I looked it up. You've so. saved <laughs> what would you prefer, stunts or dancing? Dancing. Dancing. Yeah. Come on. Any day. Well, did Pit, Pitbull inspire us? He, 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 yeah, he's my buddy. He's your buddy. You're in a yeah. video of his. I, I love my Pitbull. He's, he's, uh, I met him three years ago just to reach out and tell him you know, how much, as a fan. Right. And then he's such a brilliant entrepreneur. He got thinking about it, and he said, hmm, maybe I should put him in one of my videos dancing. Because nobody's dancing very much anymore, you know? Right. He, he does, but right. nobody else really. So I thought, well, hell, I'll join him. And, I, I, I think Christopher. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I think Christopher Walken has danced in every <laughs> single movie, if, even if it's yeah. for just a Tiny quick bit. shuffle, shuffle yeah. step. I think yeah. in well, every he's single a, role he's, he's a, ever done. Got a Broadway history. Yeah, you know, yeah. Music, yeah. And you danced with him in uh, in Hairspray. I certainly did. <laughs> yes, he played my husband. That's <laughs> right. I um. So I wanted to ask you because you you had three movies in a row that that I really. Loved of yours, and it started with Wild Hogs. I can't believe I loved it as much as I, I mean, I was laughing out loud. It's a funny movie. It is a funny movie. It really is. It surprised me with how funny it was. I don't know if that's a backhanded compliment or whatever, but no, it's a funny movie. And yeah. who would have thought a bunch of old guys in motorcycles would be that funny? But yeah. your character in, as Edna Turnblatt in Hairspray, and I love that movie. I have songs from that movie in my iPod. Um, uh, you can't stop the beat is a really really great That's song, right. yeah. um, and then followed by Bolt. And uh, yeah, yeah. speaking of, of songs, he's not kidding. Got, I'm not kidding. I, I have I nearly lost you. That you it was a duet that you did with Miley Cyrus. Yes. I have that on my iPod. Do you really? I do. I really. I, I and I thought you sounded great in that. So it is a long diatribe. But what do you prefer, singing or dancing? Ah, uh, I'd still prefer dancing, but I enjoy singing. Because I did both as a an early professional. Yeah. In order to work in New York, you had to sing, you had to act, you had to dance. Three chances of getting employment. Yeah. So I enjoyed all of them. Yeah. But I'm most comfortable dancing. And then, 
and then probably acting and singing, I just uh, happened to be able to hold a pretty good tune, you know. Well, I, I had a very high, uh, like almost a high baritone or tenor. You still do. Voice, yes. You still do. I mean, in, in bolts in that song, and I, I, I yes. would ask anybody that, you know, has a, an iTunes account or whatever, listen to the song if you haven't heard it before. It's it's the song that ends... Uh, He's played it for us many times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but it's the song that runs at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, well, and, it just seems that my voice is like... For instance, uh, you're the one that I want in Greece. Yeah. And Bolt song. There's this high, you know, ra- range yeah. that I sing in that used to, has to, it's kind of different than most people. So it's it's kind of identifiable as my niche or something as a singer. I love the way you sing. You're the one that because you're like you're the one that I want. Well, yeah, <laughs> a lot of yodels in that, in that, in that song. A lot yeah. of yodels. Uh, so, with the career as long as yours, getting back to the, to the fanatic, it's uh, biblical. Yes. <laughs> you, how have I mean, it seems? I never hear stories of you. I, there never seems to be a situation like a moose ending up. St- you know, you 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 don't seem to draw that kind of. I don't because I think I because I embrace my fans. Yeah. And I actually communicate with them. There is not that urge to. I'm not a mystery as much, you know, and I'm I'm not a can't have. Right, right. If, as soon as you become a can't have, it starts a frenzy, you know. Do you, do you, so? Uh, some people are calling it a horror suspense. You know, do you do you like things of of the, uh, the things that make you uncomfortable? I like the ones I've done. Like, yeah. I love <laughs> Carrie. You know, yeah. when I was a, a kid, I did that movie. And was that your first major film? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, with Brian De Palma, and then we got together again for Blowout, and I certainly love that. Which is so we work obviously with audio. It, it took the the classic film Blow Up and made it audio. Yes, exactly. And and, uh, and uh, so I remember thinking that, and I thought with the editing and all that stuff, it actually was one of the things like I, I think I want to do this. Uh, but it was <laughs> it, Brian De Palma is a brilliant. Did you see the documentary on on him recently? I he, haven't. He goes on about you in really? it and just nothing but accolades and, and working with you. But it's 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 a really cool insight to when, the movie. When did this come out? I'd love to see it. I, I, it's it's on. It's I watched it on, on iTunes. Netflix? Yeah, and it's probably all over the place. I'm yeah, gonna yeah. have to see that yeah. one because I love documentaries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're my favorite entertainment. There's actually CNN is doing a good series on movies now, a are documentary they? series, and you are figuring prominently in it as well. Wow. Yeah. Two things to watch. <laughs> John, I wanted to ask in, in the fanatic, uh, your character Moose mentions a couple of times uh, somebody you've worked with before, and that's Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. yes. Uh, She's got two pools. I, I, got, <laughs> I got a kick out of hearing that because yeah. I'm sure you guys are friends uh, or have been over the years, and maybe it's maybe it's been a while, but has word gotten back to her that uh or have you heard from her that she's mentioned in that not yet but soon okay. soon i invited her to the premiere so maybe uh, okay she'll learn that yeah uh, <laughs> i thought was that fred's idea to include that or, or yeah, did he, he write he that in? Uh, okay he, he wrote uh, that all the dialogue is i improvised quite a bit but but all the primary dialogue is fred's okay because it, it seems it seems but you i was reading that you he was working with you sort of um Asking questions to Moose to yeah. incite responses, so that so that you started to think. Well, that's in that, the actor and right. and Fred is he's a really terrific actor as well as a director. But he he's the only you know director I've worked with that actually could do this. But he would legitimately improvise with me as Moose, and it got me in the frame of mind. And then I would go to each department. I go to the lighting department, the wardrobe, the 
that make up here, and I'd I'd be in character, and I'd have them ask me questions, and it was like a jogger nut. And as soon as Fred sensed that I had arrived at right. the, the moose zone, <laughs> the moose zone, boom, yeah, we would do action. That's wow. cool, and it was a very very great way to. There's nothing better for an actor to prep than for someone to ask them questions about them. As, in the character. In the character. So is that, that's, to think in the character. Is yeah, that classically what we would refer to as method? No, I'd say it, it's a method. Okay. I, I don't know if it's the classic method because it has more about reliving past incidents and things. I think this is more And you of, never had a mullet. <laughs> and I never had a mullet. <laughs> but, but I do think that... that uh, uh, assuming the beingness of a character quickly is where you want to be right. when you do a role. And it helps you to be that when you're asked questions before you, you go on. Sure. You know, it's it's nice. You didn't have a, a mullet, but you did have a long hair in Pulp Fiction. And uh, I get you in my phone fairly frequently. When I'm not, uh, when I'm running late to the gym, my, my trainer will send me a text and it's just you <laughs> doing the looking around <laughs> me give in, uh, in, in Pulp Fiction. Uh, in that role, you you played such um, an interesting character because you, you, you're lost a lot of the time, and you know you're in this haze, uh, but you're also in this like euphoria. Where did you? How, where did that come from? That that it's I'm, a it's a very good question because you know he's a hitman, but he's also heroin a chip. What they call a chippy, a weekend yeah, yeah. heroin addict. And uh, I thought, well, I have no reality on that. I'm gonna have to find out. So I interviewed several heroin addicts and and asked them about how they felt. In the, and then finally, one day, I said, look, I'm never going to do it, so you have to help me understand that feeling. And he said, okay, well, I really can't, but if you have to know the little begin, the beginning of the feeling is get really drunk on tequila and lay in a body of warm water. Hmm. And he said, that little bit of feeling is the beginning of that. Did you so do that? I did that. And, of course, when I, <laughs> I'm not a drinker either, but when I did it, everyone I knew wanted to join me in the experiment. Oh, that sounds cool. When are we doing that? Okay, we are doing my character study together tomorrow night. Man, that sounds like fun. I want to do that. It was fun. And then, it, and then from there I grew, and then with the descriptions that they told me, and, and uh, I was able to design it. But that's – even Quentin didn't know – all the time what I was doing because I he just trusted me. He said, John, I don't why he's walking that slow, why he's talking this slow, I'll figure it out later. But He I let tr- you go? He just he, let you he go? He just let me go. Wow. Because I think the great ones do that. Mm-hmm. Brian De Palma and Quentin and Robert Altman and uh, Mike Nichols, all those guys I worked with all had that one thing in common. They <laughs> hired you, you're 90% there. Ten percent is guiding you here and there. Is that what happened? So it's Saturday Night Fever. John Batum was the director. Yeah, he let me go because I said, Batum, you're from Texas. I'm from New York. I know this guy better. Yeah. yeah. So leave me alone. I'll help you with me, and then I won't interfere with how you direct. It's got to be the ultimate compliment as an actor for them for a director to say you got it. It is, yeah. and it's the smartest. Yeah, yeah. If, if the the actor is trustworthy, right? I I think it's the only way to go. Um, because otherwise you get a mediocre performance as opposed to a, a, a kind of a higher-end performance. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you, you've worked with John Woo twice, right? Oh, yes. So you did Face Off and Broken Arrow. And, and for a guy who's so incredibly likable, you play a incredibly adroit prick <laughs> in those yeah. movies. You are so evil. I haven't figured that out yet. How is that possible? <laughs> and it, that, I, but it seems to me you enjoyed it so much, especially with playing basically Nicolas Cage. 
Yes. <laughs> with, with that. And you are so hilariously evil in that. Did you? Did, was that just a joy? It was a joy. Yeah. And, and it was easier for me than it was for Nicholas. Because you had to tamp down. Well, Nicholas really had to find me somewhere. Yeah. And he had a hard time finding me in the movies because I'm different in most movies. But Nicholas is very specific in his talk and his right. behavior. And so it was a little easier for me to grasp his side of it than it was for him to grasp my side. So I wanted to ask you, uh, let's get away from acting for a second. I wanted to ask you about your planes and your pilot's <laughs> license. Uh, what sure. ratings do you have and how long did it take you to get them? Okay, are you ready for the long list? Well, so I have a couple <laughs> of friends that are that are pilots, and so uh, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with it. Okay, I have 10,000 hours in the air. Jeez. It's quite a bit. I have, wow. um, let's see, uh, 12 jet ratings, 747, 707. Gulfstream, um, Citation, Lear, um, Hawker, Falcon Jet, um, uh, two, three fighter, different fighter jets. No kidding. Oh, wow. Wait, wait which, which fighter? Because Press and I have both uh, flown in fighter jets. Yeah, I went we up with the... We didn't pilot it. I went up with the Blue Angels. And, well, uh, did you? Yeah, yeah. How was the, that? The media flight. It was amazing. Did they make you sick? I passed out and puked. <laughs> That's why I won't go with them because I don't want to do that. <laughs> I, have pri- I have too much pride to end up uh, you know, doing that. Yeah, it was an FA-18. You were in an F-16 because he was with the air. National Guard. I wore a um, G suit so I didn't pass out or get yeah. sick. Yeah, well, that's I did pull nine good G's. for you. Yeah. Well, you have to tell them before you have to say, you know what? I don't want to get sick. Please <laughs> don't make me. You know. Yeah. So that's my my uh, my. You know. And how many years? How long did it take? Oh God, I've been flying since I was sixteen. Okay. Years. Really? It's just it blows my mind when I see a shot of you sitting in the cockpit of a seven hundred seven. I mean, because I I know I my, my my litmus test has always been if you've ever locked your keys in your car, you shouldn't be a pilot. <laughs> so uh, you know, but and, but but uh, to me that requ- you it requires such a skill set and an attention to detail. Uh, and you just legitimately, you know, we know about like David Gilmore is a pilot, and, and, and there's a lot of people just just love it. I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled with the notion, but I would never do it because I know my own limitations. But, I mean, when you get behind the, you know, when you're flying a 747, you know, are you white-knuckling it or are you just in, in absolute ecstasy? No, I find that the bigger the plane, the more almost simple it is. Um, really? Yeah, and less complex. Well, it's complex in its systems, but it's, you know, there's a lot of booster uh, systems and yeah. uh, boosted systems I should say that make it like a, a, a power steering you know it's, okay. it's kind of kind of effortless Back, you, backups you, you don't really feel the size of oh, okay. the plane all right uh, in the smaller jets you actually feel it more you know would there be enough room for me to lay down and cry cuz that's all I have. <laughs> yes <laughs> you can lay down and cry well, <laughs> being famous you have uh, a lot of people have the privilege of you know having private jets and being flown all over the place when you do get into one of your jets or something are you flying it yes okay. for the most part mm. unless i'm tired and, and then you shouldn't be <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> did you see there was a news story yesterday dale earnhardt jr's uh citation uh that oh. went off the runway caught on fire really everybody got out everybody was okay but the the plane was a total loss yeah. oh i've got to look that up yeah i, always, I think you always learn by these things you know? okay yeah they're, they're the faa and the uh the, the safety administration are, are looking at it speaking of of aircraft your 707 is yes. getting a uh is being donated yes i'm donating to an I've had it 18 years and I've, I loved it, but it's getting, um, you know, antiquated and mm-hmm. it's time to give it away. So I'm donating it to an Australian museum. Was this the one we heard? We were talking to Olivia Newton-John and she said that she had never seen Greece and you had her and her husband. Yes. 
come on well, board. His husband he, had never seen. He had never seen And Greece. you actually went on the plane and watched it. Correct. <laughs> yes, that is correct. I said, if you're going to marry Olivia Newton-John, you, you better see Greece. <laughs> well, that must have been so much fun. It was watching his reaction, you know, because then he became the entertainment watching him (laughs) watch the screen like I did with my dad with Mary Poppins when I was 10. I wanted him so badly to see it that I watched him the whole movie <laughs> watch the screen. There was a screening of Grease last night at the Man Music Center, which is this great venue in town, and they, uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra was there to perform the soundtrack, and they just do a phenomenal job of accompanying the uh, live music with, with the movie, and people were just going nuts for it. I mean, it, you know, the movie's nearly 40 years old, or maybe it's 40 years old at this oh, point. It and is, and, and it is a phenomenon. I, You know, it's, it's really interesting to see how it, each generation embraces that film. Because I remember when I was little, you know, watching Yankee Doodle Dandy or, oh, yeah. you know, uh, watching Wizard of Oz and they all held up. But they were only 20 years old at that time. Yeah. yeah. This movie's 40 and it's still like it was as though it were done last year. Yeah, it's pretty I, timeless. Uh, it's really timeless, which I'm proud of. It, it's funny, though, because I think it, it, it is, there was a certain group in time where I was very aware of silent films. And, and I, it wasn't like I was around, thank God, yes, but know. they showed them on you know, you would see 4 o'clock movies. Right, and right. Like and, yes, and, yes. And, and you had an appreciation for it. That's a little harder to get now. But, I mean, so for right now, I think a lot of people to be turned on uh, to the movies of the 70s, the sec which you are a part of. Sure. The, the second golden era of Hollywood. Yes. You know, because it's, you know, these are great movies that sit there. And, and, and when kids or, or younger people discover them, the light goes on. It's like, oh. Yes. Because and the more timeless they are, the more they discover them, uh, not only in a new unit of time, but but as though it were um, they were back then and yeah. it had the same impact. Because Grease and Senator Peebers seemingly, even Urban Cowboy, have the same impact on the new generation that it had on uh, people then. Absolutely. For some reason. Still as profound as ever. Yeah. yeah it seems it. Do you know? Yeah, as a, uh, I, I did musical theater growing up, and and Grease is the one play that has always eluded me, and uh, and I always wanted to play Danny Zuko, and now <laughs> never too late. Yeah, as a forty four year old man, that's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's too late. You're you're you're, you're Donald Zuko at that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should do it. The Fox News group did today. They did a reenactment of Grease. Yeah. Uh, they filmed it. Uh, per shot. Oh, yeah. really? Yes. You guys could do that. We could do that. <laughs> We've got our Sandy. Absolutely. We've got all our T-Birds here. Yeah, sure. yep. I'm, I'm yeah. the, the lesser known guy, Baldy. So <laughs> It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just do the you know leather jacket. You're home. Yeah. I mean, we still, to this day, if somebody says, you know, rock in and roll in. And whatnot. Of course. It just finishes. Yeah. All the time. Every single time. Yeah. Without That's fail. hilarious. Yeah. Well, so, I just thank you for, for all of that stuff yeah. that you've given us you know, oh, over welcome. the years. It's, it's, um, it's it's a real pleasure actually looking at you in the flesh. It's, it, you know, you have beautiful eyes. Really, <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't get uncomfortable to the very end. No, I'm good I, that. are you kidding? I'm, I'm an actor. I love compliments. <laughs> Please, more, more. You dressed really nice too. Yeah. And, uh, put a watch you. on you in the pocket square. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've decided that we're each other's scenery, and that at some point. Maybe not for yourself, but for another person, you have to be presentable. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you, anyway, you had a great quote on on Good Morning America. You're making the round, so so you were hitting uh, those guys, and and you said something I thought was it was a great outlook. And you said, uh, you know, life is art. Life is yes. art. So appreciate it, enjoy it, and it's here for your entertainment. You well, know? it is because I think so many people don't view life as an art, but you know how you eat, who you spend time with, where you go, how you do it, how you dress is all part of an art if you choose to allow it to be mm-hmm. an art. Yeah. It's not just the quote-unquote arts of 
music and dance and and sports and it's actually how we live yeah. what we're doing right now well you know of course this is an art because you're on on radio yeah. uh performing yeah but uh it's how we interact is also part of the art uh, the art of life i love that i love that outlook all right well if you want to see john definitely in a in a, a role departure unlike he's ever been in then you want to see the fanatic wonderful to have you here john thanks so it, much this was probably the most fun i've ever had at a interview situation this has been awesome oh, thank, so much. thank you so yeah. much and loved your story nick and i loved your story casey <laughs> oh my Those god two great stories let's hear it john travolta ladies and gentlemen thank you john thank you. We'll thank take you. a break we'll be right back stay with us Stream WMMR anywhere you have an internet connection. Check out the mobile app or go to WMMR.com. You'll figure it out from there. Hi, I'm Steven Singer. Yep, that's me, the I Hate Steven Singer guy. People ask me all the time, what does this mean, I Hate Steven Singer? Well, maybe this is the reason. At my store, we don't play pricing games. We wouldn't treat our friends like that. We only have one price. One place, one price. Come to my store and feel the difference. You'll have fun buying a diamond for somebody you love. Steven Singer Jewelers. One place, one price. 888-I-HATE-STEVEN-SINGER. Online, IHateStevenSinger.com. And our flagship store at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now, WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Bizarre Final. Here's a story. Georgia, a rapper was having lunch at Cracker Barrel when thieves stole nearly a half a million dollars in jewelry and cash from his custom car. Damn it. Adolph Thornton, the Memphis rapper known as Young Dolph was at the Cracker Barrel just before noon on Wednesday when it happened. Police say Thornton and another man were eating when employees told him that someone had broken into his custom camouflage Mercedes-Benz SUV in the parking lot. Cracker Barrel such a magnet for rappers. It was unusual in a number of ways, the police chief Anthony Bizdillo said. <laughs> uh, number one, he said, we see the suspects in a video. They come to this vehicle three separate times. Investigators said the first time the thieves approached the truck, they may have entered the SUV without breaking into it. The video shows the suspects drive off and return two more times. It was the third time they broke in through the window. The rapper said his driver's side window was damaged and the following items were stolen. A diamond chain valued at approximately $27,000. Another chain valued at $57,000. A Richard Milley watch valued at $230,000. A Patek Philippe watch valued at $85,000. Yeah. Cartier sunglasses for $24,000. <laughs> Cartier sunglasses for just $700. A Glock firearm. Pirelli backpack valued at $300. Apple MacBook at $3,000. Apple iPad at $500. And Apple AirPods valued at $200. Why wouldn't you leave that in the car? You know, all of that in yeah. the car. Thornton said that it would cost about $700 to replace his window. Investigators are puzzled by what happened after young Dolph got out of his truck. They say that the taillights flashed off and on, and in the next couple of minutes, they flashed two more times. Uh, the officer said that's interesting to us in terms of what happened with the vehicle. Was it being locked? Unintentionally unlocked? We don't know. Young Dolph posted on Instagram this week that he would be giving away one of his other customized cars to a fan who makes the best video for a contest involving his music. The Memphis-born rapper has worked with Atlanta artists, including Migos, Gucci Mane, and Lil Yachty. Lil Yachty? Yep. 
You don't mess with Lil Yachty. Half a million dollars worth of stuff in his camouflage SUV parked I, at Cracker Barrel. I mean, when I'm at Cracker Barrel, if there's $30,000 worth of stuff in my car, it's a miracle. A British tourist visiting Boston captured on video a hungry seagull devouring a dead rat in a single gulp and posted it on social media, prompting thousands of horrified comments. Uh, Oh, that's disgusting. The video shows the gull pecking tentatively at the rodent before picking it up in his beak and swallowing the entire animal whole. Why not? Go all in, right? How big is this thing? Uh, the bird then flies atop a parked car on Salem Street in the heart of Boston's North End, popular for its dozens of Italian restaurants, the rat's tail hanging from the gull's mouth. Mm-mm-mm. So people were eating and watching this. You got a little something there. The unidentified Briton who caught the beastly breakfast on camera can be heard exclaiming, Oh my God, it just swallowed it whole. An Indiana man accidentally shot himself in his genitalia. (laughs) Officers came in contact with a 46-year-old man in the emergency room shortly before 7 a.m. on Thursday. There, the man told officers that he was on a walkway near a Girl Scout cabin when the high-point 9-millimeter handgun in his waistband began to slip. The man said he reached down to adjust the gun, accidentally causing it to discharge. The bullet entered just above the man's penis, and exited his scrotum. Oh, my balls! The man doesn't have an Indiana handgun license, and the case will be sent to the prosecutor's office. Hey, when are people going to learn about that tucking the gun into your waistband thing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you're walking around the Girl Scout cabin and all, why not be armed? I'm going to go get some Girl Scout cookies. I better be packing heat. Hey, some people go on vacation to have fun. Others break the rules and find themselves in a rather perilous situation. On Monday, Catherine Strang says that she got a string of hilarious texts and photos from her dad about his trip to Iceland with uh, her grandmother. The two recently visited a lagoon. Uh, It's a glacial lagoon in the southeastern part of the country. The grandmother found a large piece of ice that was shaped like a chaise lounge along the lagoon shore, and she laid on it so that her son could take a photo. And that's when a wave lifted the ice thrown up and out into the water, <laughs> and she was swept out to sea. Oh, my God. On her ice chaise lounge chair. Uh, she had to be formally rescued. Luckily, there were uh, there was a man nearby who was a licensed boat captain and had professional water rescue training. Uh, String shared the photos Jeez. online, and it quickly went viral. Yeah, she got swept <laughs> out to sea. Goodbye. Yep. Uh, A teenager faces two felony charges after admitting to putting a cattle sedative in his stepfather's drinks last year. A cattle sedative? Listen to this kid. This kid's got problems. Uh, Tyler Malone, 16 years old, was charged with placing foreign objects in edibles and second-degree reckless endangering safety. His mom and stepdad reported in April that a box of oxytocin containing rompin, which is given to cows during the delivery of calves, was missing from their barn. In January, Malone's stepdad went to the hospital with a droopy face, slurred speech, heavy breathing, and was stumbling, officials said. I think my son put something in my food. I'm sorry, you what? I think my son put something in my food. In your food, okay. Doctors told him that it was from... I don't feel so good. Doctors told him it was from energy drinks. I don't have any energy. He was drinking energy drinks and also stress and lack of sleep. Uh, but when it happened again in April of the next year... When I come out of this, I'm going to rip your ass off. He started uh, monitoring his beverages and the symptoms disappeared. 
Uh, during that same time period, Malone was expelled from high school for hacking school emails. His mom told police, he said, remember what happened to that kid that was expelled in Florida? His mom told officials she believed that was referencing the Parkland shooting. Oh, boy. After Malone's stepdad started to suspect his stepson was doing something to him, he found used syringes that he thought Malone was using to put the cattle sedative in his drinks. What a lunatic. An employee that also worked at the farm told police that Malone was messing with his stepdad while he was sleeping by putting blankets on his face and punching him. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. Just messing with your dad. Yeah. Wow. It's funny. I punch you at night. I punch you in the face. Isn't that funny? According to the complaint, Liquid uh, saved from several of the stepdad's drinks and the syringes that he found tested positive for the cattle sedative. And on February 7th, Malone admitted to putting the drug in his stepdad's drink because, quote, he thought it was funny. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I put battery acid in your Frappuccino. Uh, Malone told officers he never wanted to hurt his stepdad. No, I just wanted him to laugh. This little psycho is scheduled to be uh, charged in court on March 18th. It's funny. Wow, that's terrifying. And that is what I have for you in the Bizarre File this morning. All right, we're going to take a break. We made um, a few announcements. Uh, a couple of them were concert announcements. So when we get to music news, I will reiterate that information for you. We'll also have a chance for you to win something. We'll do the lesson question when we come up next. Stay with us. As the year draws to a close, 93.3 WMMR looks back at everything that rocked 2019. With our top 25 songs of the year countdown, vote for your favorites now at WMMR.com. Then catch it New Year's Eve starting at 7 p.m. on 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks. All right, our next guest is in town, along with another great musician, Jeffrey Gaines from Philadelphia. Yeah. Awesome. And we are happy to have him here today. Please welcome lead singer of the Spin Doctors, Mr. Chris Barron. Hey, guys. Hey, nice to see you. How are you, man? Really good. Thanks so much. It's such a pleasure to be here on MMR. We were talking about you. We had played, it was either uh, Two Princes or Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, one of the songs. It was in the morning, and I was just back selling it. And and it was about a week or so before we found out you were coming in, and, and we were just going off on how great the band is. And yeah, what, always what, huge fans. What fun, great, enjoyable music it is to listen to. Thank you. And then, like, just a few days later, we hear, no, he's coming to town. We're like, oh, right. <laughs> there you go. That so, is so cool. It was perfect. But, uh, yeah, man, so uh, yeah, welcome back. You're Thanks. It's good to be here. You're from Princeton. Yeah, I grew, grew up, up in, I grew up in Princeton, which was really cool because I was like halfway between New York and Philly. So yeah, well, I had all the radio stations. Like this is back in kind of a golden age of rock and roll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. radio. So like I was listening to MMR. Yeah, and um, and then from New York, I had like um, WNBC and PLJ. Right, right in Princeton. And NEW was was, N-E-W was, was, a, was a sister killing. station. Yeah, NEW was killing it. They're gone now. PLJ, yeah. NEW. Well, I mean, you guys are. Are you guys like We're the, the only last ones. of the Northeast like rock and roll like we you know, are active we, rock stations? Yeah. yeah, WMMR is the longest standing, still playing current rock music radio station in the country. Good for you. We're happy. Yeah, Good we're for you. Proud I mean, about it, yeah. and going I, strong. I was like 12, 13, 14 years old. <laughs> I had like you know a, like a like an old like Panasonic boom. Oh yeah, 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 
plastic <laughs> with, um, you know, like the, a cassette deck in it. And I'd have you guys on, like, you know, really low at night. <laughs> so, like, my parents didn't know I was listening to the radio. Oh, yeah. And we would do this thing back then. You'd have, you'd have a cassette in there. And then, like, every song that came on, you just hit record. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then, like... <laughs> If you liked the song, you recorded the whole tune. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't, you'd be like, nah, I don't like that song. You'd rewind and re-cue it and, like, wait for the next song. Yeah, that was the only way I to get to, it. I used yeah. to make these mixtapes, you know, <laughs> off of the radio that way. But, yeah, that was... That was um, the best man, uh, I, Pierre Robert. Oh yeah, was Carol Miller. Yeah. yeah, you know, just like uh, that was the other thing too. Is you couldn't like you didn't know what these people looked like. For all you knew, they were twelve feet tall. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, Pierre. Yeah, we had like rabbit ears and mm-hmm. like you know fire coming out of their noses. Well, and, Chris, like, we just had actually had a, uh, um, it was the fiftieth um, celebration for the station uh, a little while ago. Carol Miller was there, and, yeah. and so many of the old uh, jocks were there. But, I mean, it is the rich history. And the, the cool part is is that you were played, and the same station that played you brand new was playing um, Zeppelin when it was brand new. All that know, stuff. It's, it's and it's really continued. Cool. And, yeah. and also, like, not only that, but, like, I was, as the guy who ended up being played by yeah. MMR, like, I was listening to MMR while I was, like, figuring out how to write songs yeah. and play music myself. So, it's, you know, it's it's the cycle, you know, is just is so cool. And radio, radio is, like, one of those, I think about radio all the time now, because everything now is so, um, you know, there's so much sensory input yeah. all the time. And the beauty of, of radio is actually, like, a certain amount of sensory deprivation, you know, that you're not seeing something that like it's these movies that are happening in your head. Yeah. And if there's an explosion, it's like a sound effect of an explosion. And if, you know, I just, I just <laughs> think the radio is so Theater of the mind. Yeah. I think mm. the radio is, is, uh, is really what it, it's all about. Nice. Let, me, let me ask you, Chris, because I, I am sure you get this a lot. Um, I remember when I heard my first spin doctors song that, you know, the, the, the connection that, your band has to people of my age and and uh, they were coming of age in the 90s when i first heard a spin doctor song i it's a very clear memory for me do you get that a lot that people that know people exactly, say that that know exactly when they heard a, a spin doctor yeah tune? that's that's really gratifying you know like it's it's one of the really nice things about about the band is um somehow we just struck this kind of universal Chord and and I think one of the things that that makes it really gratifying, you know, from from like our end of things, is um, we we were just trying to make music that we loved. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like we were like, oh, this will get the yeah, allowance yeah. out of the kids. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We were I'm just like we were we were coming out of we were coming out of like a period of music that was very. Um, you know, commodify. It was a lot of like boy bands and um and, and like Madonna and stuff yeah. like that. Which is, you know, not, I I love all that stuff too. Like I love pop music. Um, but um, but we were all blues freaks and funk freaks and like rock and roll freaks, and so we wanted to make music that was well. It it was a transitional time uh, because uh, leading up to that, the world of rock anyway had gone this decidedly. Uh, kind of pop metal route. Yeah. And that's where it was. Yeah. And then along comes Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and then bands like Soul Asylum and you guys and yeah. so forth that, that were, you know, that were picking up steam and created this whole... Nirvana turn. really kicked the door down. Sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those guys just, it was... 
I remember like we were just starting to go around. Like we would we we would find like we go to a town to do a gig, and we would go to their college station. And back then, like college stations were just like you know a c- couple kids in, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, with some equipment, yeah. and you just call ahead and just be like, "Hey, we're around this band. We're coming to town. We're playing the blah blah, and and you know, can we come by?" And they'd be like, "Oh, sure, a real band? <laughs> yeah. Wow, you know." Yeah. Um, but like we, you know, we would walk into these places, and there'd be that that um um baby. Poster with the baby like in the pool, yeah, yeah. with the with the dollar bill on the yeah. hook and his little peepee, yeah, yeah. and like um, <laughs> you know, they were everybody was like these guys are the jam, and we were just kind of following those guys around. We were like a month or two behind those guys all the time, yeah. And, but you were doing uh, your own thing. I mean, your sound didn't sound anything like their sound. No, no, but you know, and- but what what happened was they were just kicked that like commodified kind of prefab mm-hmm. music door like sure. down, and all of a sudden like. You know, the people who, like, open up the door were like, oh, man, this, like, sloppy, nasty, like, angry crowd you're right, is you're going right. to sell again. You and, know? It, and it did. It, it, and put, it, did. it put an edge back on it. That was, and it was, I remember clearly, but, I mean, that's why you always see the stuff and it starts to become cyclical. But, I, I mean, I, I really liked that period of, of music because there was, there was a. Uh, oh, it was exciting. I yeah. Thought. And there were a lot of different sounds. Yes. That, that played on the field. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Huge amount because. Nirvana may have kicked down the door with a sound, uh, but other bands came in like you guys. It didn't sound anything like them. I mean, you had your other quote-unquote grunge bands, but you had more fun, melodic, uh, and blues-oriented, you know, and I've I've got to point out uh, Blues Traveler as well, and we'll talk about your relationship with those guys and John Popper in a little while. Uh, But but, uh, a whole slew of artists came in that I guess had just kind of been waiting in the wings like you guys that were just kind of going around and doing their thing, and all of a sudden it was like, hey, you guys want to make a record? You know, yeah. I mean, I guess there was a the sense, industry paid attention. There was a sense of, like, you know, looking at um, at bands like Poison and, and um, you know, like, I, I loved Warrant. Def Leppard. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I actually thought those bands were really, like, cool. They made some fun stuff. Yeah. And we were, like... We're gonna take these guys down. You know, like, <laughs> it was like, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're gonna. We were like, the competition know, doesn't hurt, and it also spurs you on to to try to do something different. We were like, enough of this. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. let's. Um, and we were also like, I think another uh, unspoken, like historical musical music history kind of aspect of all of this is that we were like some of the last bands to make record on tape. To make records on tape. Oh, this is all before so like, digital. Thing. Yeah, I mean, for you know, for 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 like you know your your listeners who you know maybe don't really know what I mean by that. Back then, you would go into the studio and you were recording. You weren't cor- recording digitally into a computer. You were recording on these reels of tape that cost three hundred like nineteen ninety dollars. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So if you wanted to like edit something. Like a dude with a razor blade was cutting, actually cutting this tape that you had paid, th- just paid 300 bucks. You needed to do like another take. Sometimes you were like, okay, are we going to go over, are we going to record over one of the previous takes? Or are we going to buy another reel of tape? Right. So like you did, you had to be able to play the song. It wasn't like as there much There was real like, craftsmanship when it came to editing. The musicianship, you, know? mm-hmm. there was, you had to be a real musician. 
Well, it's it's kind of, and I say craftsmen because well, you guys are the musicians, but when it comes to the producers and 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 the editors of it all, you know, you talk about like a, a tradesman, right? Like a carpenter or whatever. Where if we don't cut this right. You got, sorry, you guys got to do it again. There were tremendous limitations yeah. on what we could do, and it made you have to really play with well. it. I'll, I'll right. tell you this. So I learned my editing analog style, as, as did you, Preston, with the razor to cutting tape. When digital came in, I could port the tricks I learned with analog editing into the digital realm and people go, how are you doing this? How yeah. are you? What is this? Yeah. So I, I I love that aspect of it. Yeah. And I got to say, um, so your album, uh, Pocket Full of Kryptonite, came out in 91. And that was like an anthem, that that whole album for, for me for, you know, not just 1991, but probably the rest of my high school years. It, it is a really, really good album. But I, I, I <laughs> want to ask you something because you were 19, 20 years old when you were writing those songs and, and, and recording that album. Yeah. I have gone back and, and, in fact, I had to throw away all of my old college notebooks and, and my papers because I'm reading it. And this is what a, a 19, 20 year old kid is, is writing. And, and creating, and I was like, this is just garbage, you know, and, 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 and it's embarrassing because, it's just, you know, as an adult man, I'm reading what this kid version of me was writing and thought was like really um, deep, deep, yeah. and, and, it, and it wasn't, but, you know, here you are, you know, like now you're an adult and can you look back at the, at the, at the stuff that you created as a kid and it's, and it's, you know, withstood the test of time or in your mind does it? Well, you know, that's a great question. I, I was writing a lot of schlock, too. You know, I was 20 as well. Yeah. Um, I, I came out of, like, a technique of writing that was basically, like, you just write and write and write. And I'd sit down to write, and I'd be like, give myself permission to write the worst schlock ever written. <laughs> uh -huh. And if I had to sit there being like, you're a jerk, you're an idiot, what are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? I'd write five pages of that if yeah. I had to until I got through, you know, all of that stuff and got to something, you know, really good. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of just babble. There's also a lot of like, the rats of my heart are decapitating <laughs> yeah. my roses yeah. on the poetic dribble. On the, yeah, yeah. satanic Sunday of my nevermore, you know. It's like a lot of like, what the hell was that? Uh -huh. Well, you know, I think it was uh, Bob Seger gave uh, Glenn Fry some advice. He's like, just keep writing, keep yeah. writing. He's like, you're going to write a lot of lousy stuff. You're going to write a lot of lousy yeah. songs. And then you're going to write a good one. Yep. And that's what you have to keep doing. Um, I, uh, speaking of writing songs and lyric content, uh, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, it's Chris Barron, Spin Doctors. They're playing at uh, Sellersville Theater on September 22nd. Um, there, uh, I, I recently, just recently, found out the origin of Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. <laughs> yes. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. It was about your stepmother. Yeah, yeah. And because, I mean, the first line, you know, a whole lot, is it a whole lot of years since a bitch left town? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was saying, thought it was... An ex-girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell that story, please? Yeah. Um, you know, I, my dad was, my dad, who's a great guy, you know, um, and we all make mistakes, but my dad was married to this woman who really kind of hated my brother and I and had a lot of, like, very, you know, serious emotional problems. Were you considered in the way? Basically? Very much yeah, so. Yeah. Worse than that. A okay. Lot. My brother used to, my, you know, like, the the I recently, like, did this tweet that just went absolutely berserk. And the, the tweet was basically like, uh, I saw somebody had written like, you know, my English teacher said I'd never be an author and now I have a book in the, in the you know, New York Times bestseller list. So right. I replied, um, my stepmother used to say that I was going to be a janitor. Nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, live in a basement and play guitar for the rats. I wrote a song about her 
It's called Little Miss Can't Be Wrong, and it's been played on the radio three million times. <laughs> what so a great tweet, man. I'm, like, flipping around, and, um, you know, flipping around, and I see a reply to the tweet, and I go back, and, like, five minutes later, there's, like, 1,500 likes, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is just going to, you know, I'm going to yeah. get 10,000 likes on this or something <laughs> like that. And I ended up being like 155,000. Oh, my God. But you I know, got like, <laughs> I got, you know, 15,000 new followers and like it, it, it really went nuts. So, yeah, my my uh, my dad's ex-wife, uh, my brother used to sleep with a machete under his bed. Whoa. Yeah. Really? Like, yeah, murder was on the table. Oh, Which, by the like, way, <laughs> after I saw this tweet, I went and read the lyrics and now I get it. Yeah. So, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. So she he sleeps with a uh, yeah. If you go machete. through those lyrics, like, the, you know, apart from doing brain surgery with a mon- monkey wrench, that's metaphorical. Yeah. She didn't actually have. There wasn't actually a gong. <laughs> the gong is metaphorical. But okay. she, like, you know, ain't nobody at the back door gonna throw my laundry out. Like she, if we blocked the laundry, she called it blocking the laundry. She'd take our clothes and just like throw them out the front door. Uh, you have to like go get your clothes and a wash freaking them all nightmare. Morning. Did she and, know the song was about her? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. The last time I saw her, she was standing. I was getting my stuff. Blues Traveler was was helping me move to New York City. I lived with the Blues Traveler in New York City. So they're in this, like, station wagon. I'm picking my stuff up. My stepmom is standing on the front steps with, like, cold cream on her face and a terry cloth robe with her hair <laughs> out to here, <sighs> screaming that I was going to die in a gutter so loud that, like, the veins were, like, standing out on her forehead and, like, her, like... The tendons in her neck yeah. were, like, straining. And I, I I, used to get this picture of her. She used to kick my door down at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning and, like, scream at me. And, like, I used to get this picture of her lungs, like, turning inside out and coming out of her mouth. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, when you're a little kid and you're just yeah, like, I, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. You get these, you go to this, like, weird place where you're just, like, floating above yourself and thinking weird things. I used to picture, yeah, I used to picture, like, you know, her eyes popping out. because She was just, like, screaming at me. So hard. That's terrible. Yeah. So uh, you well, know, you got but a don't, great song out of don't it, get. So. Yeah. Don't. Don't. You know. Don't get mad. Write a hit song. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's sort you of. Know? It's sort of anthemic for any. Make a million bucks and lose it in a dot com crash. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Anyone who's ever been told they can or has ever been browbeaten by somebody like this, but it, so that age, you were. You lived in Australia for a little while, did you not? I did. Yeah, but I lived in Australia from like eight to twelve. Okay. How did? So your dad was in the military. My dad was in the Navy when I was born. And I have to stress, you know, like the first thing everybody's going to ask is like, what the hell was your dad doing? Right, right. During all this. And I have to stress that my dad and I have a great relationship. And it was just like a really bad time for him as well. And like, you know, you just got to take my word for it. My dad's a great, great dude. (laughs) Okay. It was just a bad time. So were you, was she in the picture while you were over in Australia? They met in Australia. They moved back together um and uh yeah and she uh just uh she's you know she had some serious problems but so much pain led to such great art you know like it's so much heartbreak and and awfulness that you had to go through led to this incredible song that is a happy thing for a lot of people i think of art alex akis with uh you know oh yeah yeah Yeah. arts had a terrible time yeah Yeah. and and, and, but he's i remember the first time we met him he was like you know he was just in a bad way and and then recently he's like, he's a happy guy. Yeah. He's cathartic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. music provides a catharsis for you. When, when you wrote that, did you feel that? Um, or was it like, I'm going to get this bitch back? Uh, no, it's, you know, it's just a, like, a process. A you process, know? Like, yeah. It's, you don't, like, just exercise things like that with just one song. No, I hear you. Right. Yeah. You uh, Well, what's, what's interesting about it is the 
the melody, it, it, everything's kind of happy and upbeat. You know, one of the things I'd like to just say is, like, you know, the Spin Doctors get this rap as kind of like a lightweight, happy-go-lucky band. Yeah. But, like, if you if you were, <laughs> if you go through our material, yeah. we got tunes like Refrigerator Car on, on Pocketful of Kryptonite. That's about my stepmom as well. Mm. Um, and that's a dark tune. Yeah. Um, Shinbone Alley, like... We we have not only do we have songs that are musically pretty heavy, quite heavy, but we also have like if you look at our lighter songs, a lot of them are like really dark lyrics with happy music. If no, I've noticed that. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Speaking of getting a reputation, um, what did you think about when uh, Deadpool mentioned you guys? Oh uh, man, as, I as, loved it. Did you love it? <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, the way I look at it is like if you're enough in the. <laughs> like zeitgeist, you know, you're in a movie, you know, like that. Like, actually, I somebody was like, because I don't know, I don't know Deadpool from, well, like, anything. For those who may not know, the quote was like, uh, cancer is an S-show. It's like Yakov Smirnov opening for the Spin Doctors at the Iowa State fa- Fair <laughs> S-show. It was something along yeah, those yeah. lines. So. And I'm, like, watching the movie because somebody was like, hey, you guys got mentioned in Deadpool. To, to me, that was, like, two two random syllables. Like, yeah. I don't know what Deadpool, you know what I mean? I don't know, I don't know Deadpool from from yeah. uh, you know a hole in the ground. So <laughs> so later on, I'm like watching this movie with uh, what's his name, the the main guy, um, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Watching this Ryan Reynolds. Like this movie's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like he mentions the name of my band, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> so you know, I'm watching it on TV. I didn't see it in the movie theater. You know, I'm watching it on TV, and um, I pause it. You know, I got it like the DVR thing. I rewind it, uh-huh. and I actually did a um, I did like a. You know, I filmed the uh, the TV <laughs> oh. and him saying it, and then I turned the phone around to myself, and I'm like, "Oh!" Yeah! <laughs> and uh, and like, and I, you know, I, I tweeted, it. It. Yeah. I tweeted it, and I tagged Ryan, and Ryan liked it. So uh, oh, that's good. Here's the clip. You both know that cancer is a show, like a yak off Smirnoff opening for the Spin Doctors at the <laughs> Iowa State Fair. <laughs> Show. And I'm not going to take you to that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, that was that was classic. I mean, you know, like I, you know, my philosophy is like, take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. No, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's the like, road to ruin. Yeah, I, you know, I I play guitar for like four hours a day. I yeah. take voice lessons. I take guitar lessons. You know, I try and stay in good shape. You know what I mean? I take mm-hmm. I take what I do. Seriously, but I, I'm like, I, I get it, you know, like I'm that dude in a funny hat that people saw on television, and I don't need people That's not to know. a funny hat, I like that hat. Yeah, I love yeah. that hat too. Yeah. It did define you. But you know what I mean, like I, I know I know what I can do, I know like I'm a good singer, I know right. I'm a good writer, I know I'm in a good band, and if like people think I'm like, you know, some people think I'm silly, like that's fine, I don't care. Okay. At least they're thinking about you. Yeah, at yeah. least they're thinking about me. That leads me to the question about, you know, bands, and, and you're you're amongst great company who... who have this wonderful success, millions of records, tours, world is your oyster. You're the you're the toast of the of the the industry for a while. And then that goes away. Yeah. Um is that hard to deal with? Um because you know the percentage is very small, the bands who really, really go the distance. Yeah. And stay relevant for a long, long time. Not that you guys aren't relevant because your music still gets played today. Right. But I mean current uh you know writing new songs and things like that don't go where they used to. Right. Is is that how, how do you process that? That's a great, great question. You know, I I lost my voice a couple years ago. You sort and... of had it kind of initially brought upon you with that, right? I mean, that that kind of tests your metal to have that. Yeah, I you, lost my you, voice twice. 
I lost it. I mean, like, like lost it, lost it, right? Yeah, I, c- I couldn't even talk. Like, you, I could you, only whisper. Was heroin. it, this, like, just before the second album's coming out? It was the third album. Third album? Yeah. You wake up one morning, nothing. Nothing. And it, you're, you're scheduled to go out on tour. Yeah. So cancel the tour, kind of cancel the career a little bit. Yeah. And um, I had um, I had a kid around then, too, so I just kind of, like, concentrated on raising my kid and um, and I lost my voice again in 2015, and I kind of just took a break from music for a little while, and I started taking chess lessons because I was really into chess as a kid. Wow! And I had this like really cool chess teacher. His name was Rahim, and he was from Morocco, had like a PhD in physics, and you know he was showing me like some stuff on a chessboard, and he was like, um, in physics, every system has a uniform amount of energy. I'm like, okay, where's this going? Like, like, <laughs> you move this pawn forward, right? And now this pawn is protected by these other two pawns, and it's protecting this knight. But these squares are now weak. So you strengthen this thing, but other parts of the board are becoming weak. And I was like, oh, it's yeah. a metaphor for life. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, like, I, it, back then, I was selling 50,000 records a week, right? Uh. I mean, I found out that we were making money, like, because I went to an ATM machine. Instead of having 40 bucks in there, there was, like, 1,500 bucks. I was like, bank error, cool. Go back another day or two later, it's 5,000 bucks in there. Go back another couple days later, 15,000 bucks. A couple more days later, 50,000 bucks. I call up, like, you know, our manager. I'm like, what is happening? It's like, you know, you're finally, like, getting paid. But... During that period of time, right, when I could buy anything I wanted to and, like, you know, I could just, like, do anything. And, sure. And, like, it would be big. Um, you know, I'd walk into a, a, a mall to buy, like, a pair of underwear and 300 kids would, like, surround me. And I'd be in the mall for, like, six hours just signing autographs, you know, because people would see, like, you know. And not that, you know, I I love fans after every show, I generally just go out into the crowd and, like, talk to people and sign stuff until everybody's had their stuff signed and stuff. But, like, you know, it's a toll not being able to go into a restaurant and just, like, sit down and have, like, an intimate dinner with so with your a loved one or something yeah. like that. You know, it's, it's, it's even harder on the people that love you because they haven't – you've – like, I see that as my responsibility. I have, like, this – you know, it's, I call it the holy covenant of the ticket. You know, <laughs> these people buy my records. They come out to shows. It's my like, it's my sacred duty to be ready to go on when the show <coughs> time hits. Somebody comes up. You know, I got, I have like, I got eye contact. I have like real contact for people because I believe that I owe that to them. What do you? Well, let me ask you. What do you think? Do you think? And I, I always look at these sort of things as I, I'm a big proponent of. Um, Letting life be fluid and getting out of the way of it. You know, just, just sometimes things are meant to happen. Yeah. And in a way, per- perhaps that was, you know, in the, in the, in your life chess game, that, that was meant to refocus you, you know, so that you weren't, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Did, have you ever entertained yeah, yeah. the notion it, things Absolutely. could have gone awry had you been on a runaway train that was, a, you know. You know, I was 20 years old and like just you know, living this this life where, you know, a lot of really intense stuff was going my way. Right. And um Did you feel it getting away from you a little bit? No, but I felt like 
I felt like I'd never really, I, that I was losing touch with, like, what it was like yeah. just to, like, live a life, you know? Then I had a kid, you know, so I'm, like, elbow deep in, like, poop and diapers. <laughs> and, right. You know what I mean? And, like, I go from being, like, this lead singer sleeping until noon to, like, looking at this little kid in a crib at 4 o'clock in the morning who's, like, crying and being like, wow, it's not about me at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And, um, and so now... I'm 51 years old. I wake up in the morning, you know, and when I, on a show day, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning to catch a plane or something like that. But on the days that I don't have a show, you know, I wake up when I want to, I make some really strong coffee, I <laughs> sit down with a guitar, you know, and I just play guitar all morning. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're not grateful for that, yeah, then you there's something wrong with you. You know what okay. I mean? Like, like I, I, um, I, I, like I said, you know, every system has a uniform amount of energy. So, like, you, you can make a lot of money, but that sucks. Uh, you know, I still make a very comfortable living. And I set out in this thing to be a great musician and to be a great singer, to, like, learn more and more about music and to play better and better guitar and, um, and to make a comfortable living playing playing music and not having to do anything else. And I and I've you know, everything that's happened has afforded me that. Speaking of making a living, uh, I think I asked uh I think it was Dee Snyder the same question. Uh but uh if you write a, a a nice big fat song and it still gets played for years and years. You know the boy the movie about a boy, so he makes a living yeah, off yeah, his yeah, dad's yeah. Christmas song that he wrote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you can still uh, you can still make a living off of a, a hit song for many many years. Correct? I get a nice check every Good. quarter. You know, yeah, that's cool. And yeah. you can li- you could live off the residuals from the original Spin Docs. I mean, not you know, not in the style. You know, I live in New York City. Right, yeah, like I have an apartment. There's no taxes yeah, there. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I got to work. You know, I got to yeah, like, go course out. Got, I got to yeah. get out on the road. I yeah. got to play music. It, they say it takes ten like big hits to. Be able to just live off of do whatever you want, not have to do okay. anything. But see, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to just do nothing. I want to like, yeah. I want to play. But the, the songwriting process is important to you. You, you talked about going on a, like a sort of a. I was reading an interview with you going on a like a journeyman's, you know, course of writing of just as you're talking before. Just keep writing. Just keep writing songs. Just yeah. keep writing, and and uh, and you enjoy that. I love it. I come at I'm a, I come at songwriting from like a creative stand creative writing standpoint. Yeah. Um, I've always had a talent for <laughs> like seventh grade English class, and our uh, I had this amazing English teacher Eugene Doherty, who's a World War II veteran, lost his arm at Iwo Jima. It was like having um, Ernest Hemingway and John Wayne teaching you English, <laughs> and uh, he explained what a simile was to us. He was like, "Can somebody give me an example of a simile?" And I put my hand up. I'm like 12 years old, and I'm like, "In the distance." A bell tolls like a lonely sentinel of a happier time. And he goes, is that Faulkner? Like, no, I just made it up. And, he, and he'd read everything. So he like tilted his eyes up into his head and thought about it for a second. And he was like, oh, very good, Mr. Baron. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, for a kid like, to blurt that I've out? been writing my, my ass off since I was like wow. a kid. You yeah. know, and, like, and, and so the music, the writing, you know, that's what it's all about. For me, and if I can make a comfortable, and and I, it's also really important for me to make a comfortable living doing it. Sure. But I don't need to be famous or yeah. any okay. of that stuff. Well, you got your guitar. You gonna play something for us? Yeah, you guys want to hear? Um, you want to hear Little Miss Kathy? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Now yeah. you know the story. Okay. <laughs> it's so much more uh, impactful. Is this too close to you? That no, that's right? great. All right, cool. All right, yeah. cool. All right, if you're just tuning in, uh, it's Chris Barron, Spin Doctors, who's here. So whenever you're ready, Chris. 
Um, it goes almost exactly like this. Spin Doctors, 93.3 WMMR. I hear that song completely different now. <laughs> yeah. Not that no, I know. It really, it really changes the... Uh, you know, I always thought it would be really cool to have, um, like, a female artist cover that. I always thought it could be, like... Yeah, who would you hit. pick? Who would you pick? I don't know. Like, I, like, like um... Oh, uh, man, what's her name? Alison Krauss. Well, that would be cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is she current? Young, 
older? Um, you what know, you she of? won like one of those um, talent show things, and now she's huge. She uh, pretty yeah. country. Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood. Yeah. Okay. She yeah. might have. Yeah. yeah. She's got yeah, some she pipes. Carrie Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lead singer, so I'm just not particularly yeah. interested in things that don't pertain directly to me. You know? <laughs> well, did you? Um, she wasn't referenced in Deadpool, so <laughs> yeah. 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 You are. Uh, did you write that song for Spin Doctors, or did you write it for the uh, Dead Alcoholics with Boners? <laughs> dead Alcoholics with Boners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just read that in your we Wikipedia. Only, the Dead Alcoholics only had one um, original song. Okay. Well, the, it was the, the absolutely name. obscene. <laughs> I'm not even going to say the title of it. Oh, really? In the current the dead alcoholics climate, I could make a lot of... Uh-huh. You know, I'm just getting on. I'm just, like, making a few extra followers and stuff. Anyway, um, no, it was... It, yeah, I wrote it... I wrote it... Um, I wrote it while the spin doctors were together. Okay. Like, I was, like, 21 or something. Whenever. I wrote Two Princes when I was 19. Wow. Jesus. Wow. And yeah. Jimmy Olsen's Blues? When was that? 19. 19. I okay. started Jimmy Olsen's Blues when I was 18. I was sitting... Uh, I, I had a... I went to Bennington in Vermont. We had, like, a work term. Super liberal arts kind of school. Right. So you had a work term. You're supposed to get an internship. So I got an internship at a radio station in, um, in Providence, Rhode Island. And... Um, I uh, was staying with some buddies at Brown University, and um, I came up with this ruse. I was totally broke, right? So I came up with this ruse to get, to get food, which was I would go into the, the, the rats, the rat. They call it the rat skeller. Oh, yeah. Every mm-hmm. college has had rat skellers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. rat skeller. And um, I stole, I liberated <laughs> um, an apron. And I would put this apron on, and I would walk through the kitchen, and then I would go out into, like, the general area and take the apron off and put it in a backpack and just eat. And I'm essentially like an honest person. Like I did yeah. not feel good about that. Like, you know, so I'm sitting there feeling You're kind of crappy, now. eating my ill-gotten, yeah. you know, um, uh, <laughs> s on a shingle. Yeah. And um, and um, this young woman comes in and sits down, you know, at a table away from me, and she looked like Lois Lane. So I'm thinking, like, the songwriter mind is like, okay, if like she's Lois Lane, I'm definitely not Superman. So mm-hmm. who am I? I was. Oh, I'm, um, Jimmy Olsen. And it wasn't a particularly good song at first. Like, it kind of, you know, it, it was like, it was Lois Lane, please put me in your plan. Like, that <laughs> line was in there. But it kind of didn't, you know, didn't really do anything for me. And I came across it in a notebook, like, a year later and was like, oh, this is a good idea. So I started working the idea. And I, I came up with the, like, come on downtown and stay with me tonight. I've got a pocket full of kryptonite. <laughs> You know, I'm like 19 years old. I'm like 19 years old, and I got this electric feeling in my toes. Like, wow, that's like really good. Yeah. Like that, I got a song now. And that's, you know, you're writing a song, and you kind of hit this, you know, you come up with something where the song like reveals itself to you. You know, you have to kind of just keep working it and working it and being like, what do you want from me? Like, what do you want to be? What are you? Right. And it'll like kind of reach out of the notebook and tell you sometimes. And then it's cool. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to go back because we mentioned him real quick, uh, John Popper. Um, and, you know, and I, w- I was talking about the grunge scene and how, you know, there was this whole uh, group that came out of that, not just Seattle area, but but had that, that similar kind of vibe. And, and all of a sudden they started to uh, to form and, and take uh, take shape and, and to uh, affect uh, music. 
And you guys were in a similar situation with, uh, you know, the Horde group. Yeah. Uh, John Popper was actually a part of Spin Doctors in a different sense that some of the members were jammed together, had like a little side project. Yeah. Um, actually, the way the Spin Doctors came together was, you know, back when John was a young guy, you knew if you got John into your band, like something was going to happen because the guy was just an absolute phenomenon. So he, John was doing Blues Traveler, but... I was pestering John to do something, and then, like, Eric from the Spin Doctors, Eric Shankman, was also pestering John to take more of a of a role in this, like, side project that the two of them had called the Trucking Company. Mm-hmm. And um, John just wanted to do the Blues Traveler, so he was like, you know, if I introduce, like, Chris and Eric, maybe they'll form a band and get <laughs> and off leave my them back. Alone. Nice. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. That's great. And then Fish was in the mix there somewhere, too, right? Didn't you guys all... Weren't you guys, you know, tour buddies or something like that? Or We we were all from Princeton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So, like, I played hockey against Trey Anastasio. I remember him just, like, knocking me on my ass. <laughs> and, like, looking up and being, like... Because he was the PDS. I was in, like, the local intramural thing. So, like, uh, he... You know, some guy with, like, just, like, red hair coming out of his helmet like, just <laughs> knocks me flat on my ass. He looks down at me, you know, like, I'm, like, on my ass looking up at him. He, like, grins. He turns around, and it's, like, Anastasio. I'm, oh. like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get that. Forever guy. burned in your mind. He's a dead man. I just watched the, uh, it was a Trey Anastasio documentary um, between me and my mind. I just watched it, and I, I had no idea that he was, like, that intensely involved in hockey, and his dad was the coach and all that. But um, I also just read that uh, you and Trey and Mike were all hanging out together. Oh uh, yeah, we ended up at a um, at a premiere of this of um, this other great show. This show called The Other Josh Cohen in New York City. Okay, I didn't know they were going to be there, and um, but yeah, we're like you know we're 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 pals, you know, like we we don't. We don't get to spend much time together. We all can you know. I be pals? <laughs> yeah, he wants to be a massive fish fan. Yeah, I have no idea. I sat in front of Trey. Mar- I mean, uh, uh, Tom Marshall and Trey's dad at the the last fish concert. You know, and- if anybody listening is a fish fan, <laughs> you'll be happy to hear that they are the nicest, yeah. coolest, oddball guys that you would ever want to meet. They really are just lovely, lovely human beings. And so people talk about their lyrics and how they're just like, you know, they make no sense and, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, a lot of them don't and and, and some of those lyrics were just designed to make each other laugh. Yeah. Or, or you know, like I was listening to you enjoy myself, and and it's a the lyric is is Italian, and it was something that made them laugh when they were in Europe. Yeah, you know that that the Italian like cab driver or whatever said to them, and it was something that cracked them up, and they put it into a song. Yeah, and so yeah, they yeah I I, I love that I love yeah, that about them. They have a very different like philosophy about lyrics than mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I had heard similar things about you as far as how nice and approachable and everything you were and you're and you're and you're living up to it. You're yeah, I'm, a, I'm a goddamn delight. <laughs> I'm freaking awesome. Well, listen, uh, I'll give you a, a connection that you have with Steve. Steve has uh, 10 cats oh, that he owns. Yeah. You got 10 cats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my god, you're so Do lucky. you live in a house? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not out on the street. I yeah. I can't yeah. stop looking at your Twitter account. Yeah, well, you're a cat yeah like for your listeners who yeah. Aren't familiar with my Twitter account? Like I am basically the king of hashtag Catterday. Catterday, yeah. All Saturday long. I, you know, it's funny how that happened because my my uh, my cat. Um, I had this great picture of my cat Gus. He died last summer, but you know, a couple years ago, I just had this great picture of him. And I'm on a train, and I'm like, I need a hashtag for this one. So I literally, I actually went like. 
um, you know how like Twitter will just give you hashtags, you know? So I was like, C-A-T-A, C-A-T-B. <laughs> And this is like, you know, this is the kind of obsessive, like, you know, personality that that like you end up being like a guitar player and a musician and a guy right, who yeah. writes like obsesses over every word in a song. So uh, I got all the way to you. you. I got all the way to and it's C-A-T-U and it was like Chatterday and it happened to be Saturday. I was like, are you kidding me? Chatterday? So like I just tweeted this picture of my cat Gus and... um and, like, it was another one of these things where, like, I open up my feed and it's, like, 50 people had sent me, had answered with pictures of their cats. So I just started retweeting people's, like, cat <laughs> pictures. And honest to God, like, I I tweet, like, probably a couple hundred pictures I, of cats I know. I've been every Saturday. And then at the end of the day, I'm like... I'm like I only tweet millions of pictures of cats on on, on Saturday. Saturday yeah. Please don't unfollow me. <laughs> and like I always get like a bunch of responses like never. I, it's so, crazy uh, though that you you throw up an animal picture. That's if you look at my my Instagram and Twitter, there is a tremendous amount of cat pictures. Yeah, it just it's just the nature of the of the I beast. Literally, really do try to keep it to. <laughs> Saturday. Just Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest of the week, it's otters and, uh, right. you know, other <laughs> any animal that's available. You know, a bunny and a bunny yeah. and, a, and a peacock that are right. friends. And There's a donkey matter. one on here, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love donkeys. Well, listen, unfortunately, we got to wrap things up, but Chris, we appreciate hey, you coming by. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks, man. It's great to, great to see you hey, this morning. We guys, thanks it. so much. MMR, man. I'm big heroes of mine. All awesome. You guys. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Chris Barron's yeah. been on MMR. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment stay with us what's new glad you ask disturbed revivalists motionless and white new music more of everything that rocks on 93.3 wmmr the next guest is in town for screenings of his new film, Jay and Silent Bob. It's the reboot. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Smith yeah. is right here in our studio. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm not prepared for the uh, East Coast at all. <laughs> After the heart attack, I went vegan and lost weight, and now everything is cold. Like, I have no insulation yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> you, right? You, you lost. You're, you're, you're now basically an Olympian. I know. Uh, yeah. so, hey, uh, but I am down to my high school weight. But I don't remember j- this being this cold in high school all the time. When like, you lose the insulation, yeah. I feel like a, a little old man. Like, right down to my bones. I'm like, oh, the chill, the What'd you do with all your jerseys? There's no way they fit anymore. They didn't. Um, I eventually boxed them all up, signed every one of them, and then on the second part of the tour, we give that out to, like, VIPs. Wow. Wow. What we call game-worn jerseys. But uh, I stopped wearing them. So weird, like, after I dropped some weight, I I shrank the jerseys. I was like, all right, I'll go to a smaller jersey. And I I felt like, oh, my God, I look stupid. And my (laughs) wife was like, you always look stupid. (laughs) She's like, yeah, yeah. She's going, you know, the suit jacket suits you and stuff. You and know? actually, it's, it it, it, this this is the, the new Kevin Smith. I and, defaulted uh, to like my 1997 look. This is yeah. what I was wearing before, like I put on weight and said, oh, the hockey jersey is a fat guy's boo boo. Um, well, you look great. It is. Thank you. Oh my god, you're so sweet. I was sitting here listening to your traffic report, and I was just like, what a what a skill. <laughs> like it is. It's, it's, 
very hard. specialized skill. That's why there's always somebody doing it very specifically. We, we, had, we, had, we had the cast of Downton Abbey sitting here, and we had all the other, and people come in. I think uh, uh, Jane, uh, Jane Goodall. Goodall was here, and they, they all marvel at this. I'm like, well, then, Kevin, uh, Traffic, the movie. It's, 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 it clearly just, is a movie. I, I remember when I was a kid, like, morning radio would do Traffic, and somebody was in a helicopter at all times. <laughs> and I was thinking, you got it easy, man. Like, yeah. Somebody we feeds said, you a few lines, and you're like, yes, this was actually. We sent her, we up, set her up with one one time, and, and she had no idea where she was. Because she, <laughs> well, she could not no, identify main thoroughfares. There's traffic to... below me. I just don't know where it is. Well, here's you, the thing you have to know about me is I'm scared of everything. Right. Yeah. So going up in a helicopter was like a fear that I had to face. Yeah, so I'm the roads you. below me, I didn't care, even though that was part of what they wanted me to do. And right. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to look down. And then the pilot goes, do you want me to show you how, like, if, if the helicopter stalls, how we get down? And I was like, if you do that, like, I'm going to die right now. No, absolutely not. Let me I show you what it's like that. if we're going to go down. Yeah. No, I don't want that. It's not without precedent, too, because traffic helicopters have crashed on no air. Doubt. So you're, you're wise. Just do it through the computer. I um, I remember I got my wife, like, a gift. Uh, she wanted to go to San Simeon is where uh, the Hearst Castle is. It's amazing, yeah. So we live in, like, Los Angeles. And so, you know, she's always talking about helicopters. And I found a helicopter ride, too. And it was me and my wife and her parents and my kid. So in my mind, it's like the helicopter from, like, uh, Meet Joe Black, the one that Anthony Hopkins <laughs> yes, is in. That's going to be, oh, my God, it's, it's plush. Right. It looks yeah. like the inside of a plane or right, something. Yeah. And it was one of them traffic helicopters where you could see out from under you, underneath the whole flight. And I panicked. I was like, I'm not going. Wow. And my wife's like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't look at that. That looks unsafe. She's like, we're all going. I was like, well, then you're all stupid. I'm going to die. <laughs> and uh, she was like, if you, I, I, she asked the guy, she was like, if he drives, well, how long is it? The guy was like, it's going to take him four hours. We're going to be there in like 35 minutes. <laughs> and she was like, you have to do this. It's for my birthday. And we got into a legit fight wow. on the runway while my kid was standing there watching going, <laughs> my parents are codependent. And I was going like, if I die in this helicopter, yeah. I'm going to be so mad at you. <laughs> like, I have it over you forever. She's like, just get in. It yeah. worked out. But it was terrifying. Yeah. And I didn't even have to report. It wasn't even like, the traffic is. I was just praying the whole time. I found the Lord again so quickly. He's <laughs> absolutely yeah, oh my God. You do get religion. Yes. He didn't listen to me. He was like, you made dogma, so you could die. Speaking of, of uh, flying, you you got to go to Boston after this. Yeah. And you've chosen to drive seven hours instead of fly for 45 minutes. You said seven when I asked you the other day. I was like, how long is he? He said seven in text. I was like, oh, my Lord. But then we all checked, and it's four and a half. <laughs> so no. what route do you take? Because <laughs> yeah, I want to avoid that. Like, four and a half to Boston? Blake. It took me seven hours to drive back from Boston. You hit traffic in Connecticut? Maybe. Always. That's the worst state ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the problem. You're not. You're probably not thinking about traffic. It depends on. Oh what no. You going. can't help but think yeah. about traffic. Like especially if you want to do. You just hit Waze, and Waze will tell you your future. Right. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a prognosticator. It's amazing. It's the most so, of traffic. I'll do it right it now. It really yeah. is, man. But it's, so yeah, do one from from. I'm doing right. it from right here. Do but it. why? How, why it? are you not flying? Um, we started like when we started the tour it was in New Jersey, and then the next show was in Chicago, so we had to fly there. Once we got to Chicago, the next few shows were kind of Midwest, Midwest bunched together. So we were like, well, let's drive it. And then being on the road what felt good. Like, Jay was like, it's a road show. We should be on the road. He's like, I'll drive. And I was like, all right. So if we all split the driving, it would okay. be great. But Jay is like a baby. The moment you turn the car on, he goes to sleep. So he has slept the whole ride. So sometimes I'm driving, and he's behind me, like, sleeping against the window. And then people drive past us, and they're like... 
Holy crap. <laughs> I would have assumed the other guy drove. Like, right, right. So he's been no help, but I've enjoyed kind of driving. Uh, it, it beats like dealing with the airport and crap like that. So it just means sometimes you leave an extra hour earlier. Jay's a big Walmart shoppers so we stop at every walmart we see i think the, the driving the driving thing is cool the, the touring thing is cool and in a way i was t- telling Preston, you know this whole process of the jm silent bob reboot and this tour that you're doing mm. kind of reminds me of the old days like with william castle going around and going we just to- don't have a tingler but right. i will yeah, touch yeah. you if you like right to bring- for <laughs> extra money for a vip package you will get tingled will get by t- kevin smith but they go around to different towns and, and kind of whoop it up and, and and sort of sell it that way it is it's unbelievable for me like number one the tour is making crazy loot because we've been selling out everywhere so that's first and foremost it's a business and somebody that's else awesome. is happy but number awesome. two for me it's like going to church every night where you're both the priest and Jesus, <laughs> like everybody, you're celebrating the mass, and everybody's celebrating you, yeah. man. It's like such a warm love fest. This you're sitting down with every single person in the audience gets every single joke, every Easter egg gets cracked open. Like yeah. it's all for them. It's the it, movie's made for the world's biggest Kevin Smith fan. That's me, and then secondarily. The audience. It's your crowd. Also, I think oh, we, we talked about it. this last time. We just talked to you a, a couple of months ago, uh, you know, on, on the, the phone and talking about it, it. There's there's multiple things in play here. There's that, you, you know, long awaited, a revered uh, franchise. And then also the you don't know what you got until it's gone thing of, you know, you're here. You, you survived a traumatic thing. There, there is definitely that. The heart attack yeah. has really informed everything. And then I think him. the fans are like, I'm going to go see his ass. Yeah, in yeah. case he dies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> check him out. But we had, well, last night we had two shows in Philly at the Prince Theater, which was absolutely beautiful. A total love fest. Like, anytime a character pops up that's been in one of the other movies, and there's lots of that throughout the movie, not just me and Jay, but, like, every, we got a sequel to Clerks, to Mallrats, to Chasing Amy, uh, and Dogma, as well as Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back within the movie and stuff. So now that we're done, we move on to Boston. The movie opens here, was it Friday? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it opens here in... AMC Nashamini 24. Nashamini. Nashamini. Yeah. Uh, AMC Cherry Hill 24. That ain't here, but that's nearby here. Yeah, yeah it's it's near close, Jersey. And AMC Hamilton 24. So you can go see it there this week. We're not with the movie, but yeah. it's it's it rolls out behind us. So essentially our Can't tour wait. is like a very expensive promo for the movie coming to your area. Yeah, or a very cheap promo, depending on how you look at it. It's funny because you think about, we've talked about this before with you, as you're a young filmmaker and you, you're sure in your mind, you know, I'm going to work my way up and get to these 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 budgets, and then and and have this mechanism and studio and so on and so forth. And then you you go and then you you realize your pure joy lies with really the embryonic aspects yeah. of the film industry and the feet on the ground selling it. It's the sh- the stuff I got to skip because yeah. I you know I got lucky somebody picked up Clerks, but this was the, the work that I was prepared for when right. we made Clerks. Like, oh, we're probably going to have to rent theaters and take it around because we don't have any help. But then all of a sudden, we had help. So now, at this stage of my career, I found it more fun to go backwards and do the things I didn't do. Like, you know, I made Tusk, and people were like, why? And I'm like, because I never made <laughs> right. that in the beginning of my career. That's generally when people do things, the foolish mm-hmm. things, in the beginning of their career. But I skipped that step. So I'm like, I'm going to enjoy that step just late in the career. Same thing with the tour. It's like, a lot of people are like, hey, man, can't you just release it normally? And I'm like, yeah, give me 20 million bucks, man, because <laughs> right. that's what it costs to, quote, unquote, normally release a movie. But doing it our way costs us very little to nothing. Like, I think mm-hmm. we've spent about 100 grand for the entire tour so far. Wow. 
And then everything else is just kind of profit. You just have to be willing to go places. Hey, Most but you, but filmmakers you aren't, right? They're like, I, you know, I'll make the movie and it goes out in uh, 2,000 theaters and right. that's it. But I'm happy to accompany it. We we kind of specialize or eventize the idea of the screening. Like I tell the cats every night, you know, like uh, the credits. Like when the movie ends, uh, the story proper, credits roll on one side of the screen and then more content is <laughs> I great. Well, I just that. packed the credits. I said, because, you know, we overdid the credits because, let's be honest, you guys overpaid to see this movie. <laughs> so, so you eventize it. You turn it into something that's like an experience more so. Like, look, they're going to watch the movie streaming any minute, like when it comes out. And you can watch it everywhere and stuff. And so the, the kind of special aspect of, like, we're in a movie theater has slowly dissipated and gone away. So we just kind of keep it that. It's a party atmosphere, man. It's like and we toss a time machine, and we take them all back to the 90s for two hours. How important do you think, I mean, and it's it's funny because here you are the director, routinely director-writer and star, but you're Thank usually... You. you know, nobody ever says that, yeah. but it's true. I am the other right. guy in the title. <laughs> I know. So you're, you're that... Uh, but but in this case too the 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 cult of Kevin Smith has has helped create a fan base that mm. is populating the theaters. It's allowed me to do this in the first place. Your podcasts, your shows, your 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 general fandom has created, and it, it's all those sort of things that may not have been part of a master plan that no. look like a master plan now that we look back. It's very it it, it was me desperate to stay in the game. Like, yeah, you know because they introduce you. And even back then, it's like uh, first-time filmmakers had what they call the sophomore slump or curse. Like, so you're introduced with a movie, and I had, like, the Cinderella story of a movie, Clerks. Then the next movie came out, it was Mallrats, and, like, now everybody loves it. Then nobody liked it. The right. critics hated it. It died at the box office. And so everyone was like, this is what happens when you give these Sundance kids money and stuff. <laughs> so I had no plan. It was more about staying alive. Chasing Amy was made partly because I was like, I have a story to tell. And partly because I was like, if we don't make something good, we're done. Like, yeah. they liked Clerks. They didn't like Mall Rats. Let's try to make something that they like again. And that was Chasing Amy, and it saved us for, like, a long time. That was the movie that was an umbrella where people were like, yeah, he's done a lot of stupid things. But that Chasing Amy, and yet Chasing Amy has aged in a way that, like, for some audiences, that movie's problematic. Something we address in this movie and mm. stuff. Um, for a younger generation that didn't grow up with it and see the movie as like, oh, that that was a movie that was helpful for a bunch of people at a time. Sure. There was no movie for that. Yep. Suddenly they look at the movie and they're like, you can't say things like that. Yeah. Right. You? You know, I, you're a cis white male. You shouldn't be telling the story. I rewatched right. it recently, Chasing Amy, and uh, I love it. It's a great movie, but man, is it dated in some of its term- terminology? It's and very slut shaming. It is. Like, that's yeah. what the movie kind of is about at its center. And, but you, and, you, you have to judge. You have to judge things in their time. Oh, yeah. Steve, that, you're talking to the internet. That's, yeah, they'll yeah. never do that. <laughs> like, what are you crazy? No, that, that's not going to no, happen. Right. So, what was I it's, it's weird to see it go through a filter where that was a movie for a long time that was like, "That's my shield." Yeah. And now it's no longer the shield. Now, Dogma is the shield. Oddly enough, yeah. Dogma's aged to this place where people are like, "Oh, I love that movie, man. I remember seeing that with my family and blah blah blah." It has more to do with their experience in seeing with the movie than the movie itself. Huh, I've yeah. discovered over the years, like. I'm tied in genetically to the DNA of the audience for a lot of people who are like, I met my wife and we went to see Clerks for the first time. My daughter is named Brody. You know, like I, I, Jay and Son Bob, we went to see that movie. Right. It took us four hours to drive there. There's always some experience surrounding it and stuff. And so the audience is incredibly ardent. They're not just like a casual film audience. It's like, oh, I like movies and stuff. When you're into my stuff, you're, like, really into it because it's been a part of your journey for, like, 25 years. Or then you meet people who are, like, 19 and you were like, 
man, you know where you were when we made that movie? Like in somebody's testicles. That's how long ago we made that movie. <laughs> you talk. You talk about. So you talk about the the onus of that when you're in that part of the, your career. I need. I need my umbrella film now to pull me back up. Oh, that's not even uh, for the part of it. That's been my entire career. Are you? Not are, even is, like is that now. something? Is that? Are you bereft of that now? Is that? Is that something because because you have an entrenched fan base that will, from the most part, support what you're doing? Right. Uh, and you, well, no. Yes and no. Yes, because no. I mean we did yoga hosers and they didn't show up for that at right. all. So they're yeah. a wonderful audience, but they they won't go for everything. <laughs> yeah. They're not just blindly. You loyal. can't take it for granted. No, yeah, not yeah. at all. And they've let me know that in the past. But this one, I figured like, oh come on, this is the, this is the one that's in their DNA. Like right. they, Jay and Silent Bob have been there since the beginning, since Clerks, twenty five years ago, and they were in that movie. So I figured this might work out, and so far it has. Um, and and. That has everything to do with their fondness for the early flicks. I, I'm so curious how this movie would work if you've never seen any of the other flicks. Okay, I've, I've, it might be strange yeah. for people going like, "Why? Wh- who are all these people? Why do they know? Why is Ben Affleck in this movie? <laughs> Why is Thor in this movie? You know, like people not quite understanding how it all fits together." Funny, Speaking funny of though. Affleck, was it Red Man that we had in here? Yo, yeah, he, yeah. Who was? He was he was so he said the scene with Ben Don, no it was Donnell Rawlings it was Donnell oh, Rawlings Donnell, yeah, yeah. yeah that that the scene with Affleck he said was so profound to him he he almost couldn't he started like welling up he started he's a, getting he's a, up a as you know like a dad dad yeah he yeah. loves being a dad relishes that title and the whole movie reboot is about being a parent uh, at its root level like right. remove the jokes and everything it's kind of about being what what it's like to be a parent to some degree and he is in that moment right now he has an incredible relationship with his son so i could see when he saw that scene it impacted hard ben has this real like kind of big monologue page long monologue about what it's like to be a parent how, right like when you're a parent you're no longer the star you're the stage and how it goes from your story to somebody else's story. You don't get a third act to your story because you're like, now this is the real story. I was just the opener and stuff. Oh. And so all of that stuff really hits hard if you're a parent, even if a parent of a 20-year-old, but when you're the parent of a small kid and you actually love that small kid like Donnell does with his kid, it, the movie hits you right in the feels big mm. time. That's the thing. Like, we made a funny movie like we had to. It was a sequel to a comedy, so it better be funny. But the thing nobody was looking for and asked for, but the thing that everyone seems to like the most about the movie is it has all the feels. Like, uh, there's moments in the movie where you will actually roll a tear and not because you're like, they ruined it, man. They ruined Jay Buck. <laughs> it's because Jay's performance will get you there. It's his finest hour in, like, 25 years. It's an absolute showcase for him. And, you know, as a guy who's been working with him for a quarter of a century, as a guy who started practically puppeteering him with a hand up his butt going like, (laughs) snooch to the nooch. I've watched him grow into, like, his own actor like he's it's well, he's another another example of a guy who we thought was at that precipice and about to tip over and has pulled it back with herculean ability man. you know who noticed that big time is uh ben when ben came down to shoot the scene in the movie he hadn't been around us in close to like 10 years right and the last time he saw jason jason was circling the drain and ben had just kind of been like well that's it for jay hmm. so he steps back into our world and it's a completely different Jason Mewes, who's, like, been sober for going on 10 years now, uh, married, and, like, the world's best dad. The dude is legit, yeah. wonderful dad. And Ben experienced that firsthand because there's Jason on set with his kid, and Jason's way more interested in his kid than making the movie and stuff. And Ben was blown away by it. He's like, did you know 
Muse has been clean for almost 10 years. I was like, I didn't leave. Yes, I, I was here. I watched that 10 years. So it's really nice that, like, he, he stepped back in, and his admiration for Jay went over the moon. Like, he was sitting there quizzing him. I'm like, how do you do this? Because like, he's had his own issues. His own issues. Yeah. And, and, like, he was kind of inspired by Jay's ability to keep it together because he was the, always the guy least likely. This was the kid great. we'd all make fun of Yeah, because he was mm-hmm. captain of your responsibility. You wouldn't trust him with a carton of eggs, let alone a human being and stuff, and yet yeah. there's Jay being a great dad. Um, not to change topics, but how, how you know, because I have a follow-up question here. How were you as a student growing up, like a high school student? I was not, like, uh, great. I, you know, I, I What guess about your English I could have applied myself, but I, I didn't. I was okay with B's and C's. Okay, because you English is um, where I excelled, though. And writing is was my bag. Your your ability to tell a story, you know, not just on paper and on film, but you know, here just talking is um, uh, exemplary. It, it is, and I can't think of the word exemplary. But like, <laughs> even when you said, you know, Jay was circling the drain for a little bit, I'm like, did has he ever used that before? Like, what a great metaphor. I've never, I'm 44. I've never heard that as a metaphor. Circling the drain? Yeah. Never. Yeah, well, I mean, we were but, talking um, like, yeah. that means you've never encountered anybody. Yeah. Circling <laughs> the drain, and that's a positive thing. Yeah, when, yeah. when you know them, you know them, where you're like, we thought we lost him so yeah. many times. And in the beginning, I was the one who'd throw out a net and be like, we got to save him because he's got a million dollar heart, nickel head, but a million dollar heart yeah. and stuff. But he eventually started saving himself. And yeah. he did that for almost 10 years with the podcast with Jay and Solomon Bob Get Old. And that's kind of where Re- Reboot comes out of that. And stuff. Yeah. But what saves him now is the kid. Yeah. He won't ever let that kid down. Him and that kid are like best friends. That's so, it's yeah. so good to hear that. We had a conversation uh, yesterday about role models and, the, and, 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 you know, and whether what we define as a role model and what, or, or just people who give you inspiring messages. I look at your life. I look at, on a creative level, ever since you came on the scene, I'm like, that guy's got it. That oh guy, God, that guy sweet. that he's... I've met all the other people who are like, that guy don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. Why is that guy still doing this? But you, you, I never for a second, I thought that you were always doing it for the purity of the love of everything you're involved with. And I said, if you can get to that point... That's it. If you, you can. The money thing is the thing that everyone focuses on, right? Because uh, with this line of work, supposedly, supposedly vast riches, and I'm not going to deny that. Like you get overpaid to do things that you would do normally. Yeah. Like uh, you know, I, when we're not touring the movie, him and I just sit on stage and talk to each other about old movies. Yeah. And people overpay to come see us do that. <laughs> That's why I was like, boy, if we brought him a new movie, you know, that would be kind of cool. Sure. So uh, the the relationship with the audience is incredibly symbiotic i only get to be the guy who's like oh he's doing everything he likes to do because the audience will kind of support me at least to a large degree um so that has allowed me to like not have a traditional career like if i was doing it right i would have done one thing for the last 25 years and really tried to improve upon it like people in my line of work try to win oscars and stuff but i think you have sort of a creativity add I d- very much so yeah. it's like you see so, like uh, homer sees the dog and he's like ooh a puffy tail like you get very <laughs> right. distracted easily because you see people doing things that appeal to you like you guys doing this is always like gets my blood going that's why like we went to bed at 3 in the morning but but i'm here like i got up at 6 to be here at 7 because 
like this is what I'd rather do than anything else. Oh, like awesome. you guys have the dream job. <laughs> you don't have to shower if you don't want to. <laughs> you know, the stars come to you. They need you. You don't have to be like, please, man, please, I need you to do me a favor and stuff. Um, and you get to talk. Yeah. You don't have to sit there and build some visual scheme and stuff and lie to people with pictures. You get here and you get to be honest and stuff. That's that's why I dove into podcasting because I'm like, that's like having a radio show without having a radio show. Oh my lord. So I get distracted by other people's jobs. Like, I started <laughs> going up on stage because I loved Carlin and what he did. I was like, what would it be like to be up there on stage? None better. I started making a films because Richard Linklater and Ray Slack goes, what would that be like to do that sort of thing? Um, I started doing podcasts because I grew up listening to Stern. I was like, what would it be like to if I was Stern? Like, yeah. just talking about my life. So I get very easily distracted. I have no qualms about it. I'm never, like, regretful, like, oh, I should have done this. I always feel like um, every once in a while I'll do something where I'm like, this satisfies the urge, scratches the itch of could I have been? What should I have done? Because you never know if you've done your life correctly. And in my case, like I made one movie and I was only expected to do that and it turned into a career. So I've been like playing catch up ever since and whatnot. So periodically it occurs to me like when Joker came out. I was like, you know, I've been into this crap for a long time, man. Like, should I have been on top of this? Like, not should I have made Joker, but like, should I have made a comic book movie by now? I've been talking about it for years and stuff. And then I looked back at my career and, and like, what would I trade up? Everything I did, I desperately wanted to do. And even if it didn't work out, that was the thing I most wanted to do. You don't need to make a comic book movie. What you've done, and, and I see you as one of the one of the front runners in uh, the the birth of uh, geek culture becoming what it is and now. the acceptance of and and your uh, your connection to it. Even though you didn't directly do comic book movies, there, it was always an undercurrent, and it yeah. always had and it always. Labeled it up, brought it up to a hipper, cooler level that us huh. as nerds and and thank you by the way. You know, we love you. You love that we get to do this type of thing. Yes. You give us stuff to talk about, and and that was a big only part. for one morning out of like three hundred sixty five. No, no, no. do it just great. We reference you all the time, but, but no, but I'm talking about geek culture in in general because it, we love it, and and we could go on forever about it. it did, the world did start and, circulating or, or, or turning in the direction of. The stuff I liked. I, I yeah. just got very lucky in that in as much as 25 years ago, I was like, comic books and movies about comic books. And I'm like, we live in a culture now where that is the culture. Like in Mallrats, we had Stan Lee. And we were like, hey, imagine if everybody knew who Stan Lee was and like they did in the movie. Now, they do. that's the case. I, I, so, I, so I'm an example of that. I didn't know who Stan Lee was really until Mallrats. And I was a fan of yours. And then I was a fan of that movie because we all got around. Like you were talking about experiential things. We got around and we watched that movie over mm. and over in college. And I loved Mallrats. And then I loved Kevin Smith. And then I loved Stan Lee. And then because of these guys... I, I fell in love with Marvel movies, you know, and so now... He had all, to. It's it a all, job requirement. Yeah. <laughs> yes. oh, good, good but the Lord. fact that it came full circle for, mm. for you with Stan Lee in the movie, holding the script of Mallrats, to me, that means something. And yeah, I don't even dude. really know you, but, like, yeah. that was so cool to see all of that come full circle. It was almost like, you know, years ago when we made Mallrats, uh, we put the scene in with Stan, and it was almost telling a younger audience, hey, for those of you that don't know... This is the guy that created Spider-Man. This is Stan Lee. Yeah. He's a legend. And, and he's just talking about love. And, 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 being, <laughs> and being that guy that brings people together. Years later, he returned the favor by holding up that Mallrat script. He was like, hey, here's a guy you probably don't know, Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it really does come full circle. But I never, I never honestly like have 
regret about paths not taken. Like, I, I, I sit there. Like, remember that movie, The Freshman? Love it. So there's a moment in the movie The Freshman's got uh, uh, um, Robert, uh, not Robert, Brando. Uh, Marlon Brando and uh, Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Matthew Broderick's in college, and, and Marlon Brando goes to visit him at college. He's in the dorm. I really don't remember the movie, but this moment crystallized for me and still sticks in my head. He's sitting there in the doorway, and he's talking about something unrelated to college. And then just before he leaves the scene, Marlon Brando looks around. And he goes, so this is college. I didn't miss anything. And then he leaves. <laughs> That's how I feel from time to time. Like, every once in a while, I do something that is mainstream or something that feels like, oh, this is what you would do if you were being smart about your career. Like, when I made Red State, I was like, see? Like, I I can do it. I just choo- I can make a good movie. I just choose not to every time I choose to make a Kevin Smith movie but instead. If, but if you look at the, the and again, I, I'm a big fan of this notion of, of sometimes you step out of the way and let the fluidity of life proceed. So as all this is going on and you've never made your superhero movie, what happens? DC blows up on television. The whole world is and, making and, superhero right. movies. And who do they come to to direct some episodes? It's you. So I, you're... I got to do some CW stuff. Yeah. yeah. That was very cool. And that, that definitely... Uh, made me go, oh, okay, like, if I ever wanted to work with people in funny costumes outside of my stuff, this covers it. But it also reminds me why I n- never try to make a you know, big-budget comic book movie and stuff. Yeah. Um, those sh- episodes shoot in eight days. Wow. In eight days, you're wow. done with your 42-page script. And usually by day five, I'm like, are we still doing this? <laughs> like, I, I just get bored very easily. Right, and yeah. those movies take a long time. And it's all about, like, we shot half a page of dialogue today. And, like, I'm used to shooting five, seven pages of dialogue and stuff. So, I, I mean, I, it's not me going, like, I'm too brilliant. I'd have to throttle down. But, like, I don't have the patience. Or, let's be honest, the visual acumen to pull that kind of stuff off. I, my version of a superhero movie, like in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, we have a little scene from Blunt Man v. Chronic. All they do is sit around and talk to each other. Nobody fights. There's no action whatsoever. Right. In my you know action movie, in my comic book movie, they'd probably sit around and talk about Star Wars for half an hour. So I'm, that's not really like the field that I should be in. But Lord knows I appreciate it like crazy. And people are like, when are you going to make one of these? I'm like, I ain't in it to make one of these. I'm in it to enjoy these. Like... This is the place where I get to be an audience member. You know, Martin Scorsese fairly recently was like, this is not cinema. We were talking about it. I, he's absolutely entitled to his opinion. He's a right. genius. And he right. built cinema yeah. almost uh, single-handedly. But that being said, Martin Scorsese probably, like if I said to him, musicals aren't cinema. Martin Scorsese would be an eloquent argument about why they were. Why? Because he grew up with his parents going to musicals and right. stuff. He made one himself, New York, New York. And he, to him, oh my God, musicals are definitely a part of the cinematic fabric and stuff. He didn't grow up going to Marvel movies. He didn't grow up going to action movies like I did with my dad. Like, when I go to a Marvel movie, I don't, I see what they're doing, but I also feel like, oh, this is like when I went to see Empire Strikes Back. This feels like when I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time with my old man. And for those movies to, like, summon up the dead, because when I watch a Marvel movie, it's like my old man sitting there with me. I get wow. the same feeling. I know there. that. I know that That's feeling. absolute cinema. That's the very definition of cinema and stuff. It, it, so I love those, but I don't want to make those. Like, I'm happy to be an audience member for that. Like, it's just because I work in the movie field doesn't mean I got to make every kind of movie there is. And and making a movie like that takes a specialized talent and stuff. So that's where I turn off. I'm a filmmaker and turn on. I'm the audience again. It allows me to go back to a place that I honestly never thought I'd be able to return to. Once you know how the sausage is made, how on earth are you supposed to enjoy sausage ever again? But 
when I watch those Marvel movies, I don't even know how they make the sausage. I'm like, just keep giving it to me. Kill those pigs. The vegan goes crazy for those Marvel movies. Speaking of being in the audience, we had a quick conversation before you came on about uh, the Watchmen movies. And before, Amazing. When, the, when the teasers were coming, I was just like, I was saying silent prayers, please do it right, please do it right, please do it right. We were both like, uh, this is can go either way so quickly. I watched the first episode three times in two days. It, I'm, I'm, I'm like, this I, is, I watched it multiple times. This is phenomenal. I told my wife, and she doesn't get into like the superhero stuff, and she loves Regina King, yeah. and she loves Southland. I was like, then you have to watch this, because it's a cop show. And she's like, it's about superheroes. I was like, no, they wear masks. There's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. I remember when they announced it, uh, I was like, oh, great. They're going to do Watchmen the right way. They're going to do like a 12-episode maxi-series and stuff. And then they were like, no, it's a sequel series. And I'm like, a sequel? Wait, to the movie or to the books? <laughs> right. Because not, you know, some people knew the movie, but not mm-hmm. everyone knows the books. And how are you going to do that? And then he started saying all these things like, I'm trying to make it feel tonally like it felt to me as I read The Watchmen for the first time. And I'm like, that's an intriguing idea, but how are you going to pull it off? They're literally pulling it off. As yeah. I watch every episode, it ha- does have that same feeling of discovery as when I was watching Watchmen. It's incredibly smart, very clever, but very relatable as well. <laughs> every one of those incidents, I mean, number one, the whole thing's predicated on a real-life incident that, like, most of us didn't even know about. So great entertainment can not only entertain you, but educate you as well. So we all learned about Tulsa Massacre and stuff. And then they built uh, what most people would consider at one point or another disposable comic book culture, comic book story on a historical incident and made The Watchmen about something real. It's about race relations, for heaven's sake. Nobody's, I didn't see that coming. They didn't tip that at all. And suddenly you're like, look, I I came for this and you guys gave me this. So I'm sticking around, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is fantastic. I've, like you said... I've watched every episode multiple times. I don't do that for other things. <laughs> right. This, but I got to get into it. I'm looking at the details. And he is nailing it. He is capturing the feeling of what it was like to read that book. Now, I love Damon. I've interviewed him on our, one of our shows. He was on spoilers and stuff. This is Damon Lindelof. Damon Lindelof, the creator yeah. of the show. But, you know, Damon also has a history of getting you to a place where you're like, this is brilliant. And then yeah. dropping the ball. And yeah. like, what about the smoke monster? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank I you. Utter faith that he's going to pull it off. Like, this is, this is, it means the world to him. This is part of the stuff that sends him on his creative journey to make him the show creator that he winds up being. I think he's going to honor it right to the end. And I think because he has, because he has a structure and a lore. But he doesn't. Think about well, it. Well, like, I know. He's going off he's into virgin territory. He's doing his own thing. Yeah, but, but, he, but there are certain constraints uh, that he's, that he's going to have to stick to. But well, think about a, it. What a, are those? Really nothing. Think of, in the first three episodes of the show, yeah. they're completely untethered from the book. I guess you're right. Yeah. And he is kind of creating his own thing. So at this point, because I, I thought about the same thing. I was like, oh. Well, now that Damon has some structure, of course he's making like something in, you know, that you can watch from beginning to end. But there, I thought about it. I was like, no, there's no structure. He's he's not going off of like, well, it has to be like this because this was in the book. He's free form, but he's found a discipline to tell this story, which is translating to people that don't even like stuff like this. Yeah, people who don't, they've never read Watchmen. They can enjoy this thing. And well, it will in turn send them back to Watchmen yep. to read it. And suddenly you've got a bunch of new comic book readers for an industry that always needs help. That's a great thing. What, what do you think Alan Moore would think of? Uh, 
I wonder oftentimes, this... for those that don't know, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons created The Watchmen. Uh, Moore wrote and, and Dave Gibbons drew. Alan Moore has since, long time ago, taken his name off The Watchmen when it's in another medium. So yeah. if, you wa- if you buy The Watchmen graphic novel, it says written by Alan Moore. If you see anything like The Watchmen movie or now yeah. The Watchmen TV series, it says based on the book by Dave Gibbons, Alan Moore's not, name's not on it. <laughs> Alan Moore is famously... Uh, like anti movies of his films. Yeah. He's not anti movies. He seems to love movies, but he's like these things that I've written. They're not meant for other mediums, and I can't stand when they try to translate them. So, be for Vendetta. He was out on that. He was too? out on that. He's okay. never been in on any of them and okay. stuff. So, who's the tracer for that? I well, Gibbons was his own tracer. He did it all. So, Dave Gibbons is now the face of Watchmen it, it, outside of comic books in the medium and stuff. So, as I watch the show. You know, Damon said before the show started, he was like, you know, Alan probably hates us and, and, and stuff. Never thought about it until I was on episode three, and I was like, I wonder what he would think of this. Like, would he respect the spirit of it? Something tells me that, I, and I don't know him, I've never met Alan Moore, but I've just read a bunch of interviews. But it would be something along the lines, if I had to guess, of like, um, look, this is great, this Watchmen show. Why call it Watchmen? Yeah. Like, call it anything else. Right. It's really not related to what I did and stuff. Right. And I, I can I... see that point of view, but, like, that show is made by an ardent fan who their life was changed by that source material. And he's smart enough, Damon, to not go, like, I'm going to adapt The Watchmen because then that puts you in trouble. Like, yeah. with a bunch of people playing, it ain't as good as the book. But he took the feeling of that book and created a brand new thing. i got to imagine on some level... Alan Moore would like that. I don't know. He would. He maybe would not admit it. But I, and I was thinking exactly the same As a thing. Storyteller, it probably gets closer it. to something he might give a a slight nod to. More so than like when they in DC did the before Watchmen series, where they were doing books that were based on the characters before the stories, and I some know. of them were really great. But yeah. that is something that treads on canon. Yeah. So you run the risk of like offending somebody. This doesn't tread on canon. In yeah. fact. It adheres to canon more than Zack Snyder's movie did in as much as it deals with the squid. It talks about the giant squid. Right. And that yeah. was a big part of the book. So I got to think on some level if he was into, if he ever bothered to give it a role or something, as a storyteller, I think he'd be like, well done. Some I some hope. great stuff. I mean, and we you talk about the fan. We also we were huge fans of the the series uh, The Boys. Oh my god! Which yeah. I mean, that was so good. I saw yeah. I saw you going off on that. And, and that was one of those shows where I was like, should I have made this? <laughs> you know, like this is right up my alley. I mean, from beginning to end. Thunders, and it's one of those ones. A lot of times when I get out of the gate, and people, go, you should check this out. Uh, I wasn't even familiar with the source material. I had no idea. I came out of nowhere. Like, ah, I watch yeah. the show, and I'm like, oh my god! The first ten minutes, I'm like, I'm in. By man. the time they get to the sequence uh, where Homelander and Maeve are on the plane, and oh my like, god! Spoilers, yeah. spoilers. If you don't want to know, but they're like, we can't save these people. Yep. I've never seen that scene in comics. I've never seen it in the movies. Like, it's so true. To, it's so like incredibly it's, gripping. It, it takes it takes a Weird. Okay, so we're going to buy that they can do this, but for them to say, and it's a question we've all asked, what is he pushing off against? That's what he said. He was just like, what am I leaning against? How am I lifting this plane up if I'm not... (laughs) <laughs> How am I? And all those things. And he was just so like kind of cold and logical. And about his line it. But then when the he p- turns yeah. on the people, yeah, that's like that was gripping as heck when he was just like back off and his eyes light up and yeah. stuff. And then you realize like all these people are going to die. Yep. Oh, it was nuts. So well done. I, I that I watched that scene five times. I kept going back on. They did not. Yeah. This is compelling. Scenes like that. Make me as a storyteller go like I give up. Oh wow! I can't be that good. When you go back That's and brilliant. rewatch, what are you what are you doing? Um, 
I'm what, looking for performance beats. Okay. I'm looking for dialogue because I want to hear the lines that led up to the moment. I mean, I is this see like if there's anything I missed to get to that conclusion? Is this like dissecting a football play? I mean, probably okay. like play by play where yeah. they go back and they start doing X's and O's on the screen. All right, let me like see that. what the uh, the left uh, tackles doing Same here. Same thing here because okay. as a storyteller, I'm like. That blew me away. I want to know how that just happened. So I'll go back and watch it and be like, damn. And, you know, it's not normally just that one scene. Of course, you've got to go back throughout the entire series to Mm -hmm. earn a moment like that. Like, there were a couple episodes prior to that, and then suddenly that scene has way more impact. I'm thinking about Watchmen and Boys and and, uh, X-Men. As a a writer, at what point in your life and your career did you really begin to understand allegory and, and thinking about, hey, this is not just about... Superheroes. This is about outcasts, and I gotta be honest with you. Until you brought it up, I don't think I've ever thought. Of it. <laughs> um, That's early, just had an epiphany here. Early on, my, my old man was uh, very. Like, he was a big reader, so at the end of the day, when I'd be reading comics, you know, he'd be like, "Well." That's not just about that. Yeah, yeah. My but mom's an English teacher, and and so she would point these things out to me. I'm like, no. Yes. Oh wait. Yeah. You're, you're All smarter it than takes me. is an erudite parent, somebody who's just a little smarter than than you, <laughs> or a lot smarter than you, and with enough free a time and inclination to be like, well, I'm going to knock this kid's socks off. <laughs> yeah. Spider Man is an allegory for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're actually teaching. Uh, my, I brought my son to um, uh, St. Joe's Prep. It's a high school in the uh, in the area, and uh, senior English they. Um, are taught Watchmen like it's it is required oh, reading. That makes me and, so happy, yeah, to hear because number one, it's quality reading material. Mm-hmm. Number two, you can dissect that and learn a bunch about it. Number three, is that has history in it as well mm-hmm. because he kind of set it in a yeah. historical era with Reagan and stuff. Yeah. I can see that absolutely working. Like, look, I'm no not thumbing my nose at the classics, but I was made to read some really boring crap when I was in school. Johnny if, Tremaine? Yes. <laughs> if they handed me the Watchmen, I'd be like, I'm in. More reading like this. Yeah. It, 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 uh, it is true. Go. Question. Uh, do you have to take off right away? I, I, let me take a look at my... Uh, five hours, 18 minutes from here to Logan International. So that's... <laughs> is that that's what, what it is? is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, is your event at the airport? <laughs> yeah, we're doing it right there. As planes come in, we'll be having a performance on the runway. Because we do have to take a break. Take, take a break. I can, I'm being right. here. To... I love it. Kevin yeah. Smith yeah. in our studio. We'll be back in a moment. Not only can you hear Preston and Steve, you can see them too. Check out the Weekly Rush on Xfinity On Demand. New episodes, you guessed it, weekly. Back with more of the Preston and Steve Show podcast. Now, WMMR presents Preston and Steve's Bizarre Final. All right, I have, count them, one, two, three, four... Bear stories. Oh. Holy hell! Yeah, sometimes you get What's a lot. Going on with bears, press. They have been in the B file a lot, so I've got four of them that I'm gonna. I've just decided to lump them all together. So here we go. A California man captured video of a bear breaking into his home and trashing the laundry room. Kenneth Morse says he heard. Where the hell's the bounce? Uh, he heard commotion inside his home on Sunday night, and then discovered the bear in the laundry room. He took some photos of the bear through the window of his room and shared them on Facebook. He says that the bear knocked over the washing machine, and that caused water to flow into the room, and I guess it it yanked out part of the plumbing. I asked you five times to fold the laundry, and now it's time to not be nice. And (laughs) that's me. That's you, Preston. And even ripped up a portion of the ceiling. Wow. Local authorities eventually set the bear free, and the bear, which appeared to be without injury, was last seen running into nearby woods. I mean, bear claws. You know, we've seen them. You've seen them. 
up close and personal. You could rake them right through drywall, no Easy. problem. Yep. Uh, well, colliding with anything while on a motorcycle sounds pretty nasty, but hitting a bear is particularly bad. A mess- Tell me about it, Stug. <laughs> A Massachusetts motorcyclist uh, helmet-mounted camera captured the moment that he narrowly avoided crashing into a bear that ran across the road in front of him. Uh, the video shows the man riding on uh, Route 5 North on Wednesday in the Northampton area when the bear cub comes running out into the road from the left side. man says he was shaken by the experience but not injured. That could have been bad. Imagine if he killed the bear cub and mama bear. Uh, how about this? Residents in Navarre, Florida, are being warned to keep an eye out for a black bear that made two visits to a recreational pool. This is a Florida and bear. Yeah. Oh my God. And together Florida in one. Bear. Florida bear. Florida man. Florida man. The Holly by the Sea Improvement Association says a black bear was first spotted visiting the Holly by the Sea Recreation Center when it took a swim the morning of June 20th. Manny, Selma, how are you? (laughs) You putting some block on because you know how you get. He walks out in a robe. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, later on, we're going to do some backgammon in the rec center. You guys up for that? (laughs) And the bear. Are your grandkids visiting? They're adorable. The bear then returned on the 24th. Uh, It seemed to consider a swim, but that day the pool was occupied by too many people, so the bear, you know. Did you hear what Gladys did? (laughs) Oh, my God. She's been sleeping with Dom, and Lonnie found out. (laughs) It's going to be a mess. Silver playing shuffleboard, just <laughs> relaxing. I love everybody. this community. I love the people. I love the activities. I love eating them. <laughs> <laughs> so there were too many people. And in they're the, all Jewish, so it's kosher. Uh, the pool. There were too many people in the pool, and uh, the bear didn't attempt to get in the water. Uh, wildlife officials have searched for the bear after both sightings. They said it disappeared before they arrived each time. So, what was the name of Seinfeld's uh, his parents' retirement village? Del Boca Vista. That's it. Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> Del Boca Vista. Del Boca Vista. They all have names like that. Is it? Uh, is that a town or is that just the name of the resort? I think it's the name of the, the, okay. the, the retirement community. village. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then another bear story. Uh, bears don't drive, but that won't stop them from getting into a car looking for food. The San Miguel County Sheriff's Office in Colorado has released a video of a bear. Are you my Uber? Of a bear being released after climbing into a car and locking itself inside. Uh, they say the bear was found trapped in the car on Tuesday after opening the unlocked doors and climbing inside. Uh, the officers used a rope to open the car door from a safe distance. And they warned those on social media to keep their cars locked up to avoid a similar issue. So there you go. Four bear stories in a row. Was it? A, yeah. Wow. Yeah, four. It's been a banner banner day for bears. Uh, 20-year-old Mohammed Farquan was in an accident on June 21st. Was transported to a hospital where he was pronounced dead on June 24th. His family all attended his funeral. But they were shocked when Farquan began twitching just before he was to be buried his family rushed him to the hospital, and doctors put him on life support. Doctors treating him said he is in critical condition. He is not brain dead. Oh, my God. And they were going to bury him. I mean, they were ju- they were getting ready to put him in the ground. Uh, the incident. And an observant bear noticed the twitch. His Wait a second. Vessel. I know. <laughs> uh, could only- you imagine? 
I would love to have found a couple more bear stories to make it the whole beef file. That, that was kind of sort of the subject matter of a lot of Edgar Allan Poe stories, oh, you yeah. know, where they're the... the, the yeah, the fall the, of the House of Usher yes, was, yeah. was about that. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right, and then one last story, and this is the money shot. All yes. right. Steve, you and I were talking about this story yesterday. Oh, my God. Yeah, listen a, to this. A stowaway is believed to have dropped from a plane flying over London after his body fell into a residential garden on Sunday just feet from a sunbathing man. Oh, my God. So here's a guy hanging out in his garden, lying on lying on a, you know, a chaise lounge, and all of a sudden a body falls out of the sky and lands just feet away from him. The victim appeared to have fallen from the plane, uh, from the landing gear compartment of a Kenya Airways plane on approach to Heathrow Airport. So he basically jumped in the wheel well area, which yeah. is not environmentally controlled, so he froze to death. Yeah. One neighbor described hearing a womp. As the body hit the ground. Uh, The neighbor said he had all his clothes on and everything. I had a closer look and saw that there was blood all over the walls of the garden. Uh, Police were called to the South London neighborhood of Clapham after a body was discovered in a garden. Officials are working to establish his identity and a post-mortem examination is going to be carried out in due course. A bag, water, and some food were discovered in the landing gear compartment once the plane touched down at Heathrow. The Clapham resident said the man landed about three feet from a man sunbathing in his Oof. garden. Needless to say, would have killed him. He suggested the victim was already dead when he fell, adding that the suspected stowaway was, quote, so intact because his body was an ice block. He was frozen solid. While the death is not being treated as suspicious, police inquiries will continue. Uh, in 2015, by the way, a stowaway, a stowaway on a British Airways plane from Johannesburg fell on a roof during the jet's approach to Heathrow. So this type of thing has happened before. A second man who was hiding in the undercarriage of the plane was hospitalized with injuries. So, so if the body fell up right, Preston, and its legs dug into the ground, it might appear as a lawn statue. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Do you imagine that? Oh, did you imagine a statue? Yeah. All right, and there you go, your bizarre file. Let's take a break. Come back in just a moment or two. We will return shortly. What's new? Glad you asked. Dinosaur Pilo. I'm always on the back New music. More of everything that rocks. I'm 93.3 WMMR. The trash business is a gold mine. 93.3 WMMR with Preston and Steve's Hollywood Trash. What's going on, Kathy? Kathy or me? Steve. I have any jokes. Hold on. Give me a minute. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry, man. No, no problem. And your computer rubber. (laughs) What's going on, Manthe? Manthe. (laughs) 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 Monica Lewinsky finally telling her side of the story in a six-part documentary for A&E titled The Clinton Affair. Lewinsky reportedly is most emotional in the fourth episode titled The World in My Mouth. Oh, jeez. Katie Holmes denying a radar online story saying she's terrified 12-year-old daughter Suri is becoming a carbon copy of her father, Tom Cruise. Holmes says not only is Suri her own person, but she's also two feet taller. Nope. Hey! And finally, Victoria's Secret model Emily Rajakowski completely embarrassed after experiencing a nip slip while wearing a string bikini on a Sydney beach. Apparently, Rajakowski gently exhaled, causing the quarter-width shoestring holding the tic-tac over her left nipple to shift. Oh. <laughs> That's your Hollywood trash. We welcome Steve O to the studio. Yeah. 
nice to be back, man. Thank you, guys. Good to see you, sir. And I saw you're in a good place sitting here caressing your dog as we're <laughs> leading into the interview. Yeah, this dog is, is such a star. It's the one I found in the streets of Peru. And you, you, you did yeah. mountain climbing and the whole thing. Correct, I've yeah. seen the videos. Uh, the I dog's know. gorgeous. It's mortifying for me to be such an attention whore and to have worked so hard doing all of these things. And then the one video I put out that gets the most viewership is the one where I find a dog on the sidewalk. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, you know, people, and then in the city, and, and, and my wife and I do a lot of animal charity stuff in the city, and it's, it, it had a bad reputation. It's turned around, and there's just so many pet people. But you you put up, I don't care what the hell you put up. Put a picture of, of, of you with a dog or a cat, boom. Right, Huge. well, I know, but in this case, the video of me finding this dog, it, it, it's the only thing I've ever posted that cleared a hundred million views. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. She's a le- legitimate hey, star in her own right. What are the logistics of getting a dog from Peru back to the U.S.? Is uh, that a pain in the ass, or was it, it pretty easy? I heard it was a real pain. Yeah? <laughs> but uh, I was shooting this TV show down there, and the production <laughs> took care of all of it. Okay. Well, that's yeah, cool. I had, they handled I it. had absolutely nothing to do with it. There's, there are some areas, and you, you know, you, you try, and there's, a, you know, we've, we've gone to different areas sometimes, like in, in Puerto Rico or wherever you see, you see a dog on the side of the street, and you'll pick it up and try to get it to a shelter. And, you know, you don't know, when you're out of the state, you don't know what they have as far as facilities go. Yeah. So, but uh, this, your dog when, hit pay dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Wendy's been to Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> Luckiest day of Wendy's life yeah. was coming across you. But she, she, what a great demeanor! Oh, you she's know? the best. It's 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 awesome. You you walked the walk though. I remember you up on a high up on a uh, was it a crane? Yeah, <laughs> Sea World uh-huh. protesting Sea World. For sure. Yeah, it was uh, it was some amazing stuff. I was telling these guys something that blew me away. I had not seen this video. Your bar tricks. All right. So for like years and years and years, you know, obviously you don't you know, you're you're sober for like ten years now. I think. Eleven. Eleven. All right. Congratulations. Yeah, thank That's you. awesome. Um, but you know, you, you'd build up the skill set of things that you do, that used to do, uh, you know, to get drinks and so on and so forth, but they're all pretty amazing. How, how well, many? Thank you. I appreciate it. It was my 10 best bar tricks. I made the video Yeah. and, uh, it was, it was stacked and, and I liked, I, I like to approach my, my, uh, my YouTube videos like that. I really just load them up and make them as great as I can. And it was fun to do that. You have a blast doing it. You're kind of dressed as sort of a uh-huh. little <laughs> My little magician costume. What, what's, what's your favorite of the tricks that you do? Um, I mean, because there's some really wild this, stuff. You, you, you yeah, I haven't right. seen this yet. I'm not familiar with the, 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 the bread. The breadwinner was uh, the one where, where I say I'm going to balance this, this drink on my head. And then when I let go of it, I put my arms down by my side. I'm not allowed to raise my arms at all while I'm balancing this drink. And I have to drink it without spilling a single drop. Now, you're, you're a trained uh, uh, circus Right. So you've got all the, all those chops, but I'm watching this stuff and I'm like, you know, I didn't even know you had half these capabilities. Well, thanks. Well, how do you do it? What you do is you, you crouch down and then until you get your knee on the ground, your 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 arms are still down and get your hands on the ground. And then you, you lay yourself down and you pick up your knees <laughs> and, and you pick up the cup off of your head with your knees. And you go into this crazy handstand and place it down on the ground and then you pick it up with your teeth. <laughs> what? Yeah. All right, I'd have to see yeah. that. I'll do, it, I'll do it for you during the break. Get it out of here. Yeah, I can do it with uh, with a regular yeah. cup of coffee or whatever. You bet I can do it with a cup of coffee. Jesus Christ! I used to do it with shot glasses. I was watching video of you did this tampon. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's tampon. Turns out, Frank used tampons are a little much. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. And right. Whitney. Uh, 
Wait, wait, explain yeah. what you did. Okay. What's the stunt? Yeah, it was a little prank, and uh, the idea was my my girl is uh, I mean I've got a fiance, and yeah. she, she works as a prop stylist and a set designer and stuff, <laughs> and so the, the 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 prank was to dress up uh, a tampon with fake blood and stuff, and, she, and just to make it look realistic, she used coffee as well as fake blood. Oh like, my god! So it was like pretty aggressive, <laughs> and uh, we went out with. She was wearing a little mini. Yeah. And she like had it clenched between her thighs. Oh so we're on Hollywood Boulevard and stuff, and and uh, you know she says, she'll stop a tourist and say, "Oh, I love Slash. Can you take a picture of me with Slash's star?" Yeah, yeah. And, and then she crouches down to pose with the star, and it oh falls out. Oh onto my the, god! And then she really engages the person, like you know, "Oh my god, was that in the photo?" And clearly it was in the photo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Said so like, "Oh my god!" She's like, "Hold on," and she'll pick it up and jam it back in. <laughs> There's, oh. there's, uh, and we did, we did, we did different oh. versions of it. She was, she did such a great job. And uh, well, the comedian, yeah. uh, Whitney Cummings, uh, right? We you, had Whitney you, reacting to it. Whitney Cummings she, came over. Her reaction was properly mortified. Yeah, yeah. and they, they were, they were, they were they, like my, my girl kept pushing it harder and harder. She says, "Oh, that was." She says, "Oh, let me, let me see the." So she goes to grab the phone to see the pictures. She's like, <laughs> hold, "Hold this." She's got, dude, she's handing it to dudes, <gasps> and, and like it's crazy if you put someone on the spot like that, a girl. Yeah, dude's holding it. <laughs> God. Yeah. It's, you, do, uh, is there still the thing that that thing that you had initially wow. that was from years ago that was that uh, to just shock people to just has, sure. has, has that, even so with sobriety and everything that's always remained intact. Right. Well, right? they say what do they say? They say you know drunken horse thief. You get him sober, you got a sober horse thief. <laughs> I'm just an attention whore. <laughs> But you yeah. can't, and people, you you can see it. They even the the most stalwart you know person is going to hold out. They begrudgingly start to laugh. It's just it's uh, it's funny. I, well, I, I appreciate that. That's a very kind thing to say. And I do believe that on some level, the 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 brand of humor that my buddies and I have, uh, you know. What we've done is it, it almost defies demographics. Yeah, because there's just certain mm. things. That are compelling, and uh, yeah, and I think our ability to not take ourselves too seriously. Well, because you, real help. you guys from the get go, were always the the most um, put upon subjects of your own humor. You, it was oh, ne- sure. it was never that much occasionally, but mostly at your expense. Oh, it was always yeah. It was uh, us uh, uh, at each other or at ourselves, and I yeah. think that that's what what really helped more than anything was that. It was in a good spirit, you know. Yeah. It was never mean. It was never bigoted or misogynist right. or anything. Like it was just like really, almost wholesome is how I view it. And mm. uh, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of fiercely proud of the good spirit of the, as well. You, know, you should be. We, I, we, we all look fondly back fondly at all that stuff. Now MTV's making a big turnaround on. Kind of embracing older that older stuff. Have, have they reached out to you for any? Uh... Well, we've got the uh, the twentieth anniversary of the premiere of the first episode of Jackass coming up God. next year. God, and so one way or another, I think we all feel like pretty determined to uh, to acknowledge this twenty years since Jackass came out, and and what that will look like is still uh, a little bit up in the air, but. Um, 
I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of something. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Nick just pulled up a picture of a goat sodomizing you. And I think that's a goat. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's an elk. That's an elk. <laughs> it's an it doesn't elk. have any antlers, so. Right. Dear Lord. I mean, your, uh, your Instagram, Steve, is it's just, just filled with Yeah, and it's, it's just Steve-O if you want to follow him. But uh, this one was from uh, July, and it's, yeah, it's an elk taking you from behind. Yeah. Listen, that's part yeah. of your animal advocacy. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was... Right. Uh, you I, don't need animals, you let them. Right. <laughs> I, I consider that to be... Um, to be one... Like, the most uh, elusive and, and incredible uh, nature shot. Like, yeah. you know, National Geographic is... Uh, oh we just beat them. Yeah, you could spend <laughs> you years know. looking for a snow oh, leopard. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we spent years trying to get that that to happen right there. I uh, I enjoyed Wild Boys. That was the... You know, well, you. and you. Uh, Pontius's uh, spinoff, I guess you could call it a spinoff. It was a great show. Um, yeah, I thought it was... Um, I never forgot that the, the shark sequence alone used to run with great whites. Right. Blew my freaking mind. Yep. I just put out a YouTube video of my 10 craziest shark encounters. You know. I've always felt relatively unaccountable for anything that I've done in the presence of sharks. <laughs> which is pretty interesting because my first encounter with the shark, I, it bit me. <laughs> Wait, what kind of shark it was, was it? A nurse shark. A nurse shark. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those are supposed to be the most docile ones out there. I know. It was uh, the, the first time. It was the... First trip filming for Jackass, and I had this idea called shark hugging. <laughs> Wanted to hug a shark, and and uh, they, we went, we went with this like tourist company, and they just they had had like I don't know thousands of like families. It's like a family business. You yeah, know, yeah. Bring your baby, swim with the sharks. Sure. And I was the first dude of thousands who managed to get bitten, <laughs> and, uh, and and it was so heartbreaking too because I, I was just thrilled about it. But the guy the guy in charge of the business at the time on the boat, he said, "You guys can't." show that I'll, like you know i'll go to business you know, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. we can't portray my business as we're gonna get you bitten by a shark and so there was this verbal contract and so and so the show came out and Did it I, kill got bit, I got bit by a shark for nothing uh-huh. and then all these years later um Somehow, I don't know, like, uh, they, they didn't, didn't feel compelled to honor the verbal agreement anymore, so the, they let the footage out, and I was just so thrilled to finally be able to put it on my YouTube channel. Oh, how bad was the bite? Uh, my finger got pretty mangled, just like uh, on the tip of the finger. You, you know, you can see it on the, you know, on that video. It's, um... And and that was the first encounter that I ever had. You just posted a picture not too long ago of your thumb getting mangled. Yeah. What, what happened there? Um, I, I'm working on my, you know th- my greatest skateboard tricks. Uh, yeah, you know, like I've been skateboarding since 1985. Right, and uh, something you're pretty good at and comfortable with. I, I yeah. It's. I've been making skate videos for thirty years now. Right, and so I'm trying to make a sort of greatest hits one, and I'm, I'm working on the. Like the big ending, you know. Yeah. Here, forty-five years old, trying to like do like a magnificent ending, and I keep just getting broken off trying it. I got together with Tony Hawk uh, to do this thing, riding a, you know across a wall from one ramp to another ramp, and uh, I bailed off the board midway across the wall, and then it just unfortunately found its way under my feet on the ramp when I the when, board did. Yeah. yeah. So I did the whole uh, banana peel bit and. Uh, Steve, I wanted to ask because I know you know you don't eat meat. You gave that up uh, years ago. Are you vegan? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm back on fish. You're on fish. Okay, yeah. but fish, I, on, fish only. Tell, explain this. You can eat whoppers again. 
Yeah, I love Why's it, that? man. Because uh, this Impossible Burger. The Impossible Whopper, yeah. Yeah, the they, it's, it's, this, oh. it's this unbelievable We've veggie had burger. I thought, it says here, super happy to have Whoppers back in your life. I thought it was the candy, like the, the malted <laughs> no, no, milk no, 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 yeah, Whoppers. No, 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 I'm right. like, what, what does that have to do with <laughs> Yeah, no, Burger, burger King. That was burger my, King Whopper. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right, all and, right. uh, you yeah, know, I just I, when people used to ask me, "Do you miss meat?" I would say, "Well, you know, I used to love Whoppers." Yeah, and and uh, now they they use the Impossible Patty. Um, so with you, I've been a vegetarian since seventh grade, and uh, we grew up a McDonald's family, so we never went to Burger King. So I never had a Whopper in my life until two weeks ago. I had one for the first time. It was amazing, right? And those Impossible Burgers are so good. You know what's impossible is to not have anxiety when you're eating it because you think they they screwed it up. They screwed it up because I'm eating meat. This they had for the, when they were testing. So there's Impossible and Beyond, and and they're both great. I love them both. But the uh, I forget which one they were they were testing, and they brought in vegans. Uh, and Steve, they they actually had two or three of them throw up, and that's how they knew <laughs> they had a home run. Right? Because I mean, they were so convinced of that that right. thing you're talking about, that paranoia. Be like the person behind the counter. They they gave me the wrong patty. There's right. no way this is a veggie burger. Yeah. No. It, it it is a it is a godsend. Steve O is here. If you're just joining us, so you've a, a good part of your life has been filmed. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I so. love that I haven't even bothered telling you guys about why I'm here. <laughs> you, don't, you don't even have to. You're sold out. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I do. I do have some tickets on Thursday, and not even for the award for the. You know, I'm not even concerned about selling the tickets, but I would love to tell you what, what it's about. But by, by yeah, we're gonna get yeah, please. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not yeah. I was just going to ask if, if, uh, if a lot of that, that time uh, being filmed, you were loaded, you know. Uh-huh. It, is it hard for you to go back and see scenes of yourself when you Ooh, were... That, you know, there was this documentary that we made, like, uh, when I when I got, when I turned one year sober. Demise and Rise? Correct. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to be very careful about um putting that out because i felt you know people who really like sort of wave their you know the flag and you know like there's almost it's it's kind of very slippery so i brought somebody who had at the time like 18 years of sobriety like yeah. real sobriety someone who i really trusted to come in to watch an early edit like a you know a, like the, f- the very first draft of that documentary about me and i wanted them to 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 sort of scan it to make sure that from the sense of like the traditions that that, that everything was appropriate and that i wasn't crossing any lines about like how to uh, address sobriety in in the the media and that person said yeah there's no there's no there's no issues with it but i what i didn't see coming is that when we walked out of that little edit bay having seen that footage it was so counterintuitive i had this this in, intense craving like this i felt so much like i wanted to get loaded yeah which i say is counterintuitive because to present me with footage it was like the most humiliating yeah. footage of me that that, that really that exists that's you, interesting you, you would think that to see that would make me think oh my god like thank god yeah, i'm sober be- i don't want to ever be like that ever again but it was totally the opposite. My experience was that when I saw the footage of the drugs themselves, that it like my my synapses in my brain started huh. firing. Like I could taste it. Yeah, they know it. that path. Yeah, I could, I could taste it. I could smell. It just planted me into that whole thing, and mm. it was just like I was fired up, like craving drugs so much, and like to the point of how embarrassing the footage was. 
It's like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed by that. Like, let me get loaded to get my mind off of it. You right. know, like, let me go right back to where. So it's just the insanity of the disease. And uh, and I determined from that point that I just had no business watching that. Okay. So All right. That makes sense. That documentary came out with me having... Like, I didn't know what came out. Yeah. <laughs> it came out great, though. It was it was a well, riveting documentary, I'll tell you that. Well, thanks. Yeah. I, I went on to watch it many years later, and it was just as bad as I as I thought it was. Uh, but, I thought it was. I thought it was really. Well, I mean, it, it's yeah. I, I was, a real, a real, a real uh, on, honest um, thing. Sure. So, uh, from obviously, your perspective, you were the guy. It's going to be yeah, a lot different. Yeah. It's uh, and, and I'm fine. I'm fine yeah. with it now. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't really try to dwell too much. Okay. So why are you here? Why did you okay. want to touch on that? Uh, it's just that this this new tour that it's and over the nine years that I've been touring these comedy clubs, my worlds have kind of converged. You know, there was yeah. the first show I did, which was pure stand up, and I would do some tricks at the end of the show. Then there was uh, you know the the second show I put together touring with, which would would have been the last time I was here. And uh, that one, I got so excited when it occurred to me that all of the stories I was telling throughout the act were largely things that happened on camera. So I thought, oh, my God, what if I do this next comedy special where we film the stand-up but edit into, after the fact, cut in the footage to illustrate the stories. Okay. You know? Oh, like, that's wild. really exciting. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so I did that, and it went so great. And then I determined that for my new tour... That I don't want to be living in the past anymore. You know, I like going down memory lane. It's just kind of depressing to think, what am I going to spend the rest of my life like rehashing my glory days? Right. And so I, I thought, okay, well, here's how I want to approach it. I want to do like all new stuff, like create new stories. But like, but what's left to do? We've done so much, and and I I just knew like I, I call it my bucket list because I had these ideas that. I've been sitting on forever, and they were never supposed to happen. Like, for example, skydiving came up over the years, you know, over the last 20 years. I always said the same thing. I said, I said, like, everybody does that. I'm not yeah. wasting my time skydiving. Like, that's not a stunt. Everyone does it. For me to do it, I said, because the first time you have to have a dude strapped on your back. Oh, no. I'm going to be oh, butt naked yep. and furiously servicing myself. Oh, my <laughs> Such that, God. such that, when I passed the point of no return, <laughs> with a dude on my back, and it was, God. yeah, and uh, how'd that go? How can you even do that? It's, it's, it's there's so many layers to it. To find, oh, listen, to, find, to find the to find the company that's willing to put their company logo on that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to find the guy who's willing to be strapped on my back to find, to be able to to you know, sorry for the pun, but to pull it off. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> In, in, in an airplane packed with dudes pointing cameras at me. I, mean, about, was, I got to know if you can do this because one time we did a stunt. We had an intern. We, we had a tandem jump. And the whole idea was after the shoot was deployed for him to pee from like 2,000 uh -huh. feet up. And we had him <laughs> drink a bunch of water beforehand. You got he, pee shot. He could not do right. it. He could. That's just peeing. Right. <laughs> so you already did this? Yeah. And I, oh, and I screamed. Geez. And I, here's the, here's the way that the way that this show that I'm doing now works. And it's so exciting. You would think I got into stand up to you know to 
find a you know a, a career with more longevity. Yeah. But like I did entirely the opposite. Now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in my, my I'm in my forties. This is uh, like the first joke I say. Thank you, thanks for coming out to support me during this difficult time. <laughs> you know, I'm in a real jam over here. I'm Stevo in my forties, and uh, you know, it can only. But you, I, and I'm running out of time before it gets creepy to watch me do these things. So, <laughs> so I decided I got to hurry up and I got to like go all out and oh really raise the bar. And so, I, so I, the, the whole show is uh, is a journey through this absurd bucket list of jackass stunts. Yeah, you, to, to imagine what a cast member, specifically you, would have in a bucket list. Right. It's almost it's, it's almost like you it's, don't even want to go there. It's it's, it's I mean, I, rather than call it the bucket list, I could have called it the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah. after each bit in the show, yeah. I screen the footage of the events taking place, so it's fully multimedia. It Love plays it. like a mm. jackass movie premiere and a stand-up show. That's awesome. And then with the whole meet and greet with the with the whole audience. After. Are are you still filming these, or have you done I'm all? Not, of your... I mean, for, for this this show's locked. Yeah, okay. yeah. this okay. show's locked. There's eight videos in the show. <laughs> and they're all high level. That's awesome. <laughs> I, mean, I was wondering because you're in town a couple days early. I didn't know if you were going to try and knock one out while you were here. Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been really active with all the digital stuff. Okay, you know, yeah, following you on on, on social media, you're always putting. So that's a, a saying. The 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 the, the Steve-O legacy is 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 two point oh three point oh whatever we're at. There's a whole bunch of new. Engaging entertainment, uh, you know, it, it, the, you've reinvented yourself while keeping the core there, and it's very interesting, very engaging, always entertaining. So, yeah, I, well, I, I, I think you nailed that it. So, much. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, coming here has always been such a treat, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I was really looking forward to it. Oh, awesome. good. Well, we, I mean, what's funny is we have to wrap this interview up because we're. We're literally going to interview a guy who wrote a biography about Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yes. All right. That's, that's the next. Same thing. I, I mean, yeah, I was, I was fighting back the tears watching that uh, documentary. Oh, oh it's yeah. so good. Wow. I know. So yeah, good, yeah, I mean... I was poorly fighting back the tears, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just talking about how, hey, how, how, good, how great it is. We got it. Every time you're here, we got to see your back tattoo. Yeah. yeah. Can you pull that? I, I want to see gotta, that. I got to do that trick for you, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> He's going to do a trick <laughs> for us. Uh, for those who may not know Steve-O and, and, uh, and, and you're new to uh, to him, his, his entire back is his himself. <laughs> his, his face. I got to hang on. <laughs> that is awesome. It's the greatest. Who's awesome. was the autograph on the bottom? I forget. Just the greatest. The autograph is mine. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, dude, I rock. This is Steve-O. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, it's wild because we have we have top-level comedians that come through regularly, and, and a lot of times they don't sell out. And your shows just, dude, people love you. It's, you know what? I can't even express the gratitude that I have to be almost an entire decade removed from any, like, real mainstream commercial success. I mean, we haven't had a Jackass movie since 2010. Yeah. And, and, and when I started touring the comedy circuit and the comedy clubs, Jackass 3D was still in theaters, and people just didn't want to see Steve-O do stand-up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I had a movie in theaters that was killing it in the box office, and I couldn't sell out the tiniest comedy club. And now a decade removed from commercial success. It's amazing. I, I, you know, I'm adding shows everywhere, and it's just because... Because, A, I care about what I'm doing in these comedy clubs, and, and like... 
Well, people like I'm going for it. You give it your all. I'm going for it. You're a good man. People like to support you and what you do. You've always been very cool with us, and uh, it's 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 great to see you here doing so well. Yeah, I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. It's Steve O. Thanks, man. The Preston and Steve Show podcast. 93.3 WMMR. Everything that rocks.